Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Hi, this is Bob, 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 Vila. And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon. The show where grognards go to get their grog on. Between the two of us, we're going to get a lot of stuff done. We're going to kick some ass. We're going to be awesome. Featuring your hosts. I'm Briggy, I'm Thomas's wife, and I'm the noob. Somebody here call a carpenter? Uh, this is Thomas, husband to Briggy. And uh, let's see, I work for a library, I write, I draw, I paint, I do all of this, but none of it very well. The truth is, I can always find games, though. This is Lou Alou. I could charitably call myself a game designer and game publisher, but definitely a veteran role player of 35 plus years. We work on it the rest of the night, we get it together. We can do this, right? There's no way in hell we can do it. All right, listeners, we have a special edition of this old dungeon tonight. Uh, we, as promised, have a special guest host with us. Uh, but before we introduce him, let's go through the regular uh, roll call here. I'm Lou Alou. I'm Thomas. I'm Briggy. And with us tonight from the great state of Texas. I'm Ben Burns of New Comet Games. All right. Welcome. Yeah. Man, I, I got to tell you, man, I'm giddy as a schoolgirl to, to have a special guest on. Uh, this is kind of a, a milestone in our uh, podcast. Um, okay. <laughs> I didn't realize. All right. So, uh, you know, normally we just... We haven't even been on that long, but okay. Yeah, well, that's, I mean... why, that's what I mean. I mean, yeah, this is, you know, we're, we're uh, running all cylinders here. Um, okay. So, uh, you know, we usually do some banter here, but uh, I think, you know, we can skip that for the evening. Uh and uh, let's kind of get to know Ben here for a moment, especially for your listeners who maybe have not uh, heard of New Comic Games. So, Ben, uh, what's your origin story in role-playing? Oh, gosh. That was way back in high school. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to age myself too much here. But, yeah, this was uh, D&D. Uh, AD&D had just hit the shelves, and all the stories were coming out about, about it, and it just fascinated me. And so I... You know, quickly jumped uh, to the local hobby store, and they had a small section of it. And you know, I bought the bought the basic D and D box first, and brought it home, opened it up, and I had no idea what the heck I was looking at. <laughs> I was just like, "Where's the board? Where's the you know? How do you play this? Where's game? the spinner? Yes, <laughs> yeah, and, not even dice. Where's the spinner? Yeah. yeah, where's the yeah, spinner? Where's the spinner? And um, and I thought, oh, surely I'm missing something. So I go back to the store, and then there's a... <laughs> My game is broke. I <laughs> and I saw the box for Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, and I'm like, oh, well, that's what I'm missing. That's the one. <laughs> I grab that and go home, and I open it, and it's just the miniatures. You know, it was those Grenadier, Grenadier models. Oh, God. And I thought, Okay, now I'm really confused, <laughs> and I call a friend of mine, and, <laughs> and I call a friend of mine, and I said, I bought this new game, but I have no idea, uh, you know, how to play it. What it? And he said, what is it? I said, Dungeons and Dragons, and he said, oh, 
we have a group that plays. Do you want to <laughs> join us? I was like, are you kidding me? And that's where it took off from there. So, you know, that was many, many, many moons ago. But, yes, that was kind of the origin of how I got into role-playing games. And uh, It sounds um, like getting addicted to drugs, but, you know, not someone turning you on to it. You discovering something, like, I'm, I don't know how to take this. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> use the needle just right now. Uh, <laughs> And and it, this whole dungeon is not endorsed drug use. <laughs> no, no, yes. no, no drug use. Um, but to, to continue that story, so I'm playing with this group for about a year, and we are very dissatisfied with our dungeon master. And so we decide we're going to take a week off. And Who's so, yeah, well, I mean, we're like fifth level walking through the giant series, you know, slaying everything, you know, and the, it was Monty Hall, you know, exponential. And uh, so we decide to take a week off, and um, the DM calls me on the night we usually play and said, are we playing? And I said, no, we're taking the week off. We wanted to take a break from it. And he said, okay. And so then my friend shows up, and we were just going to go hang out for the evening. And he said, well, why don't you grab your books and so we can you know, talk about the game and figure out what we need to do to fix it. And so we go to the game store, and he walks in, and I – buy something because i'm buying something all the time there and uh he buys uh he he holds up c1 i don't know if y'all remember the hidden oh, yeah. hidden shrine of tomacon yeah. and uh if it, i probably pronounced that wrong yeah. anyway i've heard it the uh, same way twice <laughs> yeah, yeah right and he says well what do you think of this and i said well that's for the dm you can't buy that and he said yeah yeah and he puts it back so we get in the car and uh he pulls it out and hands it to me and he says, you need to read this. You're DMing in an hour. <laughs> oh my that's, gosh. How, that's how I began my career as a dungeon oh master. So. so you began your career really just being drafted into it. Yes. <laughs> did, uh, did word ever get back to the other guy that you were running now? Yeah. After a couple of weeks, he was kind of pissed. But then he joined the game, and he, he had a great time. And so we all kind of settled out after that and, be, you know. <laughs> He got over it. Oh, <laughs> he, ag- funny. he agreed my game was better. So. <laughs> there is no gaming drama like high school gaming. Oh, yes. yes. That, was, that was in high school. So anyway, but to- tons of fun. We had a great time. So nice. and been doing it ever since. <laughs> and guys, feel free to jump in here because uh, oh, yeah, no. you know, this is everybody's chance to ask questions. I don't want to hog the space, but uh, I do have one. So you got started with AD&D. Uh, or D&D or a mix thereof. Um, What's your favorite game that you've played so far? Oh, by far, hands down, Call of Cthulhu. The 7th edition or any edition? Uh, Well, I played a little bit in 4th or 5th. I don't remember. It was some years back. I tried it and loved it, but everybody was, oh, D&D, D&D, and that's all we ever did. Right. And so finally, uh, when 6th edition came out, I got the rules and everything and started playing and got a group together, and we played. And uh, now, of course, I'm doing 7th edition and just loving it. I I love it more than any other system. I love to play it. I love to run it. It's, It's my favorite, so... You know, the That's the cool. investigation part, the part where, you know, in D&D, they, everybody kind of knows it so well. There's very little big surprises out there, you know. And you mean you, as you, far as like, oh, it's a troll, get your fire ready, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's there's just, run. you know, it's a rust monster, run, you know. <laughs> we got to kill it with something besides metal. You know, a, but 
in Call of Cthulhu, it's so easy to just, you know, walk in and you're like, oh my gosh, I have no idea how to deal with this at all, you know? And a lot of times, if you're fighting the monster, you've done something wrong. You're you're already dead. You just don't realize it. Well, I have a question. Did you come to uh, Cthulhu and Lovecraft by the game first or by the stories first? Uh, both. Okay. So I guess D and D actually drug me into Call of Cthulhu, uh, because, uh, you know, I have the, uh, old deities and demigods, which contains the, uh, Cthulhu mythos and the first, one. the first print. Yeah. The very first ones that came out and you do know the story about that, right? You know, there's two stories yeah, but tell out it there. Anyway. But yeah. Let's okay. see which one. Okay. Cause I've actually talked to Jim Ward. Okay. And he sat down and he told me the story. I think this okay. is the one that, that I've heard as well. Go ahead. You, yeah, okay. So he actually, when he wrote this stuff, all right, he got permission from the people who own the rights to this. And he had letters uh, to use this information. But he had to read all the H.P. Lovecraft books and all the Melbonian books. And it took him over a year to do all this and write it up in the Deities and Demigods. In that time frame, Chaosium bought the rights. So mm-hmm. when it came out, Chaosium's like, oh, no, you can't use that. We're suing you, right? And uh, so Jim Ward goes to uh, Gygax, or actually went to the lawyers of TSR at the time and said, look, I have these letters saying we can use them. And they're like, well, it's all the way out in California. We don't want to go fight it. We're going to sell a million copies. We're just dropping it. And Jim Ward was just but anyway that's the real story out there so you know whenever they they say they used it without permission that's incorrect yeah i was gonna say i i'd I'd heard when i was a kid i always heard the the second part there that you were saying everyone always said oh you know they put it in without asking they thought it was public domain uh but then yeah i'd heard the story your version added another detail i didn't realize that it was the uh the research aspect that kind of put the division there yeah the part that i'd heard before was just that whoever was given permission just was given it willy-nilly and didn't realize he gave it to two in the same uh, industry you know two game companies no but so uh, but i did find out that that's uh as part of that shakedown that's also why uh chaosium's um what was it thieves world has ad and uh stats in it is that they worked that out as part of their negotiation for mm-hmm. not making them pull the the books or what have you yeah Maybe. I, I haven't heard that part, but that's cool. Learn something new all the time. So, <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, that's where I got my start into Cthulhu, and then somebody ran a game with that, and then I just started doing more and more reading of H.P. Lovecraft, and just one of my favorites now. I think it's the investigation part and that extra aspect of not knowing what's going on. I love the insanity rules where your characters just slowly, you know, <laughs> it, it mimics the book so well and that your characters slowly drive That's down into this. Well, it, yeah. With the mechanic, it goes from being just a part of role play, almost meta to it's inevitable. Yeah. You play the game long enough. It's going to happen. Right. Eventually. Yeah. yeah. Sooner or later. Yeah. 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 And, and let, well, I mean, the DM can eventually just give you so many sanity points back because when you finish a mission, you get sanity points back. But right. as you it's learn never more as much more, as you started with. Though. Right. Yeah. Well, no, I've had characters jump higher than what they started with. Oh, but, okay. well, that's, that's the GM purview there, too. Yeah. So, <laughs> but as you uh, learn more of the mythos, your, your maximum goes down. 
So eventually yeah. it starts capping you and lowering you also. So it's it eventually yes everybody goes insane. Well, so. <laughs> interesting question. So when you play, do you typically play in a campaign or are you typically running one shots? I typically run one shots. Okay, uh, mostly at uh, it's hard to get a campaign group together. Uh, so generally, yes, yes, it <laughs> we is. all know this. I, I write a lot of books for you know for new comic games. But we license through Chaos M. And uh, a lot of the books have one-shot scenarios in them, perfect for running at cons, mm -hmm. and so I take them, and that's where I do the majority of my Cthulhu. However, I'm actually running a campaign right now, and uh, it's playtesting my newest book I'm working on. And so can I go ahead and plug it now? Well, please or? do, yeah. yeah. So, so okay. yeah, before you Plug give away. it, though, the, the most recent one, that was the... Uh, uh, the last one that went out was the Time for Sacrifice. Time for Sacrifice. Uh, that's, that's for sale right now, and it's a Mayan-themed. So all Ooh. the all the Hi. scenarios in there have a lot of Mayan themes to them. Um, and, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm real big on the actual historic locations, yeah. finding the places... Uh -huh taking stuff that's really happened with unexplained reasons and then I put the explanation on there you know yeah. um, and those say you know like there was a one of the cities oh gosh I can't remember the name of it now Capon maybe uh, down in um, Honduras where it went from like 20,000 people in the city to just a few hundred in a matter of a year and they have no idea what happened to all the people Okay, <laughs> and that's one of the scenarios in the book is it explains where all those people went, <laughs> and it wasn't nice. a nice ending for them. <laughs> the elders but, had uh, a feast. Yeah, <laughs> so anyway, it's uh, I like taking those kind of things and scenarios. Uh, you know, the book before I did that was Devil's Swamp. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of uh, the Mississippi, uh, not Mississippi, uh, <laughs> the Swamp, uh, the Hockamock. The Hockamock Swamp up in Massachusetts. If you've never heard of that, there's a, a place called the Bridgewater Triangle, and it's in Massachusetts, supposed to be the Devil's Triangle on, on land. Mm -hmm. And in the dead center of it is a swamp called the Hockamock. And the Hockamock Indians who lived there, not the Hockamock, the Muscogee, anyway, one of the Indian tribe, Native American tribes that lived there beforehand right. called it the Hockamock. And it uh, translates in their language to where the spirits dwell <laughs> and this whole area has so many stories around it all I had to do was open the Wikipedia page and put stats on it I mean it was <laughs> right. Right. It's, a, it's a fantastic place and I, I loved writing the stories that was one of my favorite books I wrote hey that's the one I won the Three Castle Award for um, so nice uh, yeah um, but the current book I'm working on, I'm decided to do a new source book and campaign book. So while the others were mainly individual scenarios that you could push together to make a campaign, they weren't really interconnected that well. They were just kind of in the same theme or same location. Right. Um, so this one is an actual campaign, and I'm setting it in uh, the year seven, uh, 1697. So in the golden age of piracy and you are pirates on a privateer ship and hmm. the captain has found a map and he wants to follow the map and it leads you deeper and deeper into this you know and so it's it's called the corsairs of cthulhu and um i think it's going to be great the players so far have a blast 
So did you have to um, alter the way the mechanics go for it to be a campaign? Because you said usually it's just a one shot. Like, you know, do they? Did you have to make it a little bit different the way to make it a longer campaign for these yeah, individual survival to, to right get for that. the survival of these players? I, actually, or, or are they gonna die and have a new character or whatever? You know. Right, and so the the campaign is based on a ship. So the ship is full of people, and if their character dies, they will just recruit a new person from the ship crew and that okay. will be the new player character yeah, and so uh, i've yeah. given them a steady supply of new characters like as the they need them. play people used to do yeah. right nice yeah. so they've been through they had a couple of small encounters and one large adventure and they have survived all of these so far one of the guys is very close to going completely insane his his sanity's down like 40 or even below that right now so i don't oh, wow. expect he's gonna <laughs> last a whole lot longer and they understand that they're going to be getting new characters at some point. Right. Um, but uh, so right now they're moving up and, and, you know, gaining new experience and new skill levels and in doing that. But eventually, you know, it's going to happen. Now I ran the exact same scenario and I didn't change it at all at a uh, convention in uh, Longview, the long con. Mm -hmm. So a little shout out to my friends out there. Um, <laughs> great guys who run that. Yeah. Uh, good guys and I ran that I didn't change anything and they actually had an extra player playing in it and two of their party members died one permanently changed and became immortal and, <laughs> and one was insane wow. and I didn't change the scenario at all I ran it exactly like I ran the other one and um, yeah sometimes it's just and I didn't kill anybody they killed themselves. Right. <laughs> Said like a true game master. Yeah. <laughs> but no, they literally shot, shot themselves. Shot the player versus player. Oh, okay. Well, oh, it my goodness. Changing, and instead of trying to figure out how to stop him from changing, they just killed him. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, guys. <laughs> Indiana Jones, bam. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, it, it, a lot of it depends on the players. So the players I have right now running through the campaign are being very cautious. They're trying not to die because they want their character to last as long as they can. And so, anyway, that's what I'm currently working on. That's my current project. So I'm pretty happy with it. So now you had mentioned that the the Devil Swamp had won a, a, a Four Castles Award. Um, three, three, three castles. castles. <laughs> ah, make it four. Sounds more impressive. <laughs> well, <laughs> three castles. It, it, it's based on the original three big D&D &D mega dungeon castles that are out there. So you have like uh, Castle Greyhawk and um, I don't even know what they are. Um, there goes my geek card. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if y'all could name them, I lose. All right. So anyway, there, there were three mega dungeons. Uh, uh, Mithras Tower is that and Greyhawk and I don't remember. Surely you two know this other than I, him. Say, I, Come I, on. I can name a There's lot of, a castles, lot of mega I don't dungeons. Know. I mean, I, I would, yeah. if we're talking about castles, castle, you know, Ravenloft to me is, you know, yeah. and one of the more notable that, ones, but I don't know. Yeah, interesting. I, I don't either. But anyway, that's what this was originally, the, the award was based on, was that. And this was the original uh, Storm, you know, brain thought up from, um, oh gosh, now my brain is all – I'm terrible <laughs> with names, you know. 
but uh, Mincer was involved in this, and uh, Tim Cask was involved in this, and um, well, Janelle Chacroix, uh, and um, uh, one other, and I can't remember. Anyway, uh, so they came up with this idea because uh, Doug Ray, who runs the North Texas Con, he wanted to give out an award every year, and he wanted to make it really special. So anyway, I, I'd been trying to win it for years and never, never got close. <laughs> I was a finalist one year because unlike the innies, which become a popularity contest once you mm-hmm. get past the gatekeepers, this one, yeah. originally there's uh, three or four game designers, famous ones, who look at them and they pick the first top four or five, and then they hand it to another set of game designers who actually rank them in the mm. order they prefer, and then whoever gets the most first place votes wins. So I actually won it that year for Devil Swamp. That was last year. And then I won it again this year. That's uh, what I was going to ask, yeah. Nice. <laughs> but before had, another genre, right? Yeah, I wrote Merle Rasmussen. I, I don't know if you know who he is. He created the original Top Secret game for TSR way back in the 70s and early 80s. And he wrote a new version, and I love that game. You're spies. It's modern day, but you're a spy like 007. And uh, I wrote a uh, adventure for that, and it won this year. So I'm pretty excited yes, about that. Man, that's awesome. So, nice. That's wow. Cool. So uh, we'll, we'll just take a little bit longer in this segment, then we'll move on. But uh, we, we got to kind of connect the dots here. So going from being a game enthusiast and, and, and playing role-playing games in high school how do we get you here now to being a game designer and running new comic yeah, games? Because and that's one of the things Gary Gygax said early on is like you go from being a player to running games until eventually you're writing your own. What was that step for you? Uh, it, it was kind of difficult. All right. So I, I ran all through high school. You know, actually, I didn't get into it until my senior year. Uh, so we did uh, last year of high school, ran a, a year worth of college. And then I went into the Navy, and there's actually, you know, and you go off to sea for six months, there's not a lot to do. <laughs> so we would play D&D almost every night, and so it's kind of cool in that way. Uh, but you quickly run out of adventures, <laughs> and so you end up writing your own stuff. And uh, I also, I think I ran an adventure, and I don't remember, I was trying to think of the name of it, <laughs> and I found the, one of the guys who was playing in it, who was finding all the best stuff, had the adventure. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm never doing this again. So I stopped. <laughs> I still bought adventures, and I used them for ideas and stuff, but I would write my own stuff and had been doing that for years. And um, I actually got out of role-playing for about three or four years and got into Warhammer uh, fantasy miniatures real heavy and was yeah. doing the tournament scene there. And Doug Ray called me. Uh, when Speaking he was... of drugs, that's like the heroin. Of... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only heroin's cheaper, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have armies just stacked up in my closet up there. <laughs> I ran Skaven, too, and I have three different Skaven arms. Oh, All right, and for those who don't know what that is, that's hundreds and hundreds of miniatures. Um. So, I'm sorry. I'm, am I supposed to be... Sorry, I disagree. I <laughs> I can go on forever. So, so, so um, Doug has called you. So Doug called me, and he I had sold – I had taken some of my uh, adventures I had written, and I was just looking for, you know, just an outlet, and I had just photocopied them. They were kind of short, little paper pamphlets, and photocopied them, stapled them in the center, and um, sold them on eBay. 
and uh, Doug Ray had bought a set of them. And so he, when he's running his very first one, he calls me uh, like January, right before, you know, and his con runs the first of June every year, and uh, said, hey, how would you like to come run your adventure? I got it. I read it. I like it. Come run it. You live in the area. And unfortunately, that was the same uh, weekend I had something else planned. Mm. And uh, I think it was like the last Warhammer tournament I ever went to because then they switched from 7th edition to 8th or something, totally ruined the game. Um, and so I couldn't do it, and I said, okay, Doug, but I'll do it next year for you. How about that? And he said, okay. <laughs> so the next year comes around. I'd forgotten all about it. He calls me up and says, Ben, you said you promised you'd come this year. <laughs> oh, no. Got you on the line. <laughs> well, at this point, I, I wasn't doing Warhammer anymore, and I said, all right, sure, I'll, I'll come run it. And, uh, you know, he, like, wants to put me in this hotel. So, we, you know, I'm, I'm remember, I grew up in the – 70s and 80s playing D and D. So I was in the group of you did it in your 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 basement, basement <laughs> or somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't play D and D. Oh no, that's for weirdos, you know. Um, <laughs> and so I I was still even in the Navy. We would find some little hideaway place to play. We didn't do it out in the open. It you know that just was a, you just didn't do that. Anyway, so we're at the convention, and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to put you in, like, the hotel lobby here <laughs> to run the game. And I'm like, Doug, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> Stage right up. <laughs> yeah. I just, well, it's yeah. the anxiety of, like, getting caught. Like, it takes yes. you back to that yes. time, right? Well, that, oh, a lot know. of people don't realize the stigma that was involved right. with that for years. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I was – growing up, uh, I, I moved from a small town to a small town, and a smaller town, <laughs> and Indiana, and um, I was that kid who introduced D and D to the school in the oh, area. Yes. You know, okay. so yeah, I get it. You, you understand what I'm talking about, then? Yes, right? absolutely. So, you know, so I had him move me to another room, and then, um, you know, and I, and that's kind of where I got back into the role playing game. And uh, I don't, I can go on into the story about how New Comic Games came about if you want. Yeah. So, but that's up. If you want to hear that story, um, so I also run a Boy Scout troop for my son, okay? Uh, it's uh, actually a troop of nothing but special needs kids, so it's kind of cool. Oh. And uh, the game design merit badge came out, and I said, hey, guys, how would y'all like to do this? And they're like, great. So we do it as a group, okay? And so every patrol is going to design their own game. And they said, okay, we'll do this, but you have to do one also. <laughs> and so I said, okay, that sounds good. And I, uh, I was, you know, they were all coming up with these ideas for these games, and I was just stumped. I had no idea what to do because they didn't want to do a role-playing game. I told them they had to do either a board game or a card game or something like that. So they were coming up with these board games and everything. And so I was sitting there watching TV and watching uh, Jurassic Park 3, actually, and the Spinosaurus <laughs> and the T-Rex are fighting each other. And I went, that is so awesome. There needs to be a board game <laughs> And so I designed Ultimate Dinosaur Fighting. I don't know if y'all have heard of that or not, but it's a, a, I think it's a pretty cool board game where you fight dinosaurs. And um, I, I designed the game, and I, I wrote up the rules, play-tested it a bunch, and I took it to the con with me. And everybody's like, oh, this is great. You need to take this to Kickstarter. And eventually I did, and it, it, it did its thing. 
uh, and it, it funded, and I've made the game. It's out there and everything now, and the second edition just came out also, so that's for sale. Hey, get yeah. that. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's got the, <laughs> the miniatures Last minute available Christmas for gift. it, too, which are pretty sweet. The what? The, uh, it's got the miniatures available for it, too, which are pretty sweet. Right. The original first edition came with the miniatures. Oh, I but... thought it was cardstock on the first one. No, the first one came with the miniatures in the box. And the second edition, I tried to sell it with the miniatures in the box. And everybody said the price point was too high. And so I changed them to standees. The price point lowered. It funded. So now the miniatures are an add-on. So anyway, but they're there. But they're pretty cool miniatures. So, so my jaw is dropping here a bit. So if I'm hearing you correctly, your first game product was a board game with miniatures. Yes. <laughs> that's that's like the like people you know. I'm I'm starting off trying to do like a RPG because there's like you know very little capital involved in that, very little risk. My goodness, wow! Yeah. It's like you went from zero to Fantasy Flight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. And, and they're metal miniatures too. Yeah. They're not plastic. They're nice These are I mean, they're not like nice. ones either. Deep yeah, I mean. We tried them with plastics. We got some plastics and tried them, and it just didn't have the right feel to it. There's nothing like taking your T-Rex and <laughs> slamming him down on the board, you know? <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, that was my first product. And then the second one was a Call of Cthulhu book. Um, the, uh, and at this point, I decided I need to, to do a DBA at least, you know, and um, I needed a brand name. And I had the um, – it was a uh, kind of a mini campaign book. Uh, for Call of Cthulhu called Star on the Shore. Uh, I'd written it for 6th edition, and I I was kind of promoting it out there, and Chaosium came to me and said, you can't be doing this. <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, they're like, well, you have to get a license before you can do that. And I'm like, are you willing to give me a license? And they're like, sure. And so we worked out a license agreement, and um, I made Star on the Shore, and that did extremely well, so much better than the board game. And I was like, okay, I kind of see where the numbers are falling here, you know. <laughs> and uh, that's where I got back into publishing and writing, you know, RPGs and stuff like that. And, of course, I'd been writing them anyway for a long time. And, you know, it's just kind of – but it, writing them for yourself is so much different than writing them for other people. Yeah. It's, it is a complete – it's actually work then, you know, <laughs> it feels like work. And so, um, but it's still a lot of fun. I still have a great time doing it. So, you know, I, I think my board games and card games are kind of in the past now. I, I've kind of gotten away from those. I don't do the, there's so much work and there's, it's such a hard market to even get your foot wet in. I got two board games and one card game and it's just, you know. That's a tough market. Well, now that you're making the big money, oh, yeah. game designer, I got to ask because, you know, Lou here is a, is a bit of a game designer. I'm a bit of a game writer myself, um, mostly just on my own, but we're branching out into, you know, publishing. Watch, if you don't mind me asking, if you don't want to know or anyone to know, what's your day job? Uh, I'm a software engineer. So. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, you yeah. got to, you still got to pay the mortgage. And. <laughs> And my I game say that because is not going to pay the mortgage. <laughs> now, I ask this because some people get this, you know, wild idea that they're going to do a thing, and it's like that's great, pursue your dreams, yeah. but let's do this realistically too. Oh you yeah. Know? So yeah. like my my day job is I work for the Indianapolis Public Library. You know. Oh, okay. So you know I'm at the library. I throw a rock. I hit a nerd. You know. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there's like a very, very slim portion of the industry that actually does gaming for a living. <laughs> you know, as far oh, as yeah. writing and yeah. designing. Yeah, there's maybe what two or three, maybe four that you know that, and then a lot of them also, uh, they employ a lot of people who bring the games to them, or they you know work on contract. It's work for hire, kind of like comics, also same sort of thing, you know. But yeah, yeah no, I was just curious because you know people got to have their day job because you know. Yeah. You're not going to be a millionaire overnight doing this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unless you know suddenly you came up with the next Magic: The Gathering, and even then that's like lightning in a bottle sort of thing yeah. yeah i mean you know there's a few people who've managed to do it a few companies that did it but it's it's rare you know even if and if you look at oh the best example probably would be uh oatmeal and his group who did the kitten uh yeah, exploding, exploding kittens, kittens, kittens yeah. Yeah. right and you know they they fumbled that big time they they made almost no money on that really you realize that it was one of the highest grossing games on Kickstarter. Okay. Yeah, it was huge. It, it was, was huge. one of the I think it was one of the first ones that were like funded within like minutes or something. Yeah, well, yeah. and that's because Oatmeal has two million fans, right? Or multi millions of fans. Well, they put their comics out there online and people read them and they love them and so they've got a built in audience. Right. And at the last minute, I don't know if you're aware of this, on like the last day they decided they would give all the backers this little special treat. I don't know if y'all backed it or not. I did. I did. Mm -hmm. All right. So originally the game was coming in a little cardboard box, okay? Had a certain size. They had it all planned out, what the shipping weight and everything was going to be. Okay. What they did was they went to this new box that when you open it, it goes, meow, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's cute, but it's bigger, and it's heavier, mm -hmm. and it costs them a ton of money to make all these. Okay, so by the time they were done with all this and the extra shipping and everything like that, they oh cleared very little money at all on that. Right. They barely broke even. And it was just, you know, the people who produced the boxes made a ton of money. The people who printed the cards made a ton of money. The <laughs> shipping companies made a ton of money. And they barely broke even. Jeez. And that's... That tends to be more the example of what happens with game companies. Chaosium almost went bankrupt. Mm -hmm. So, because of theirs. You know, all their stretch goals made their books thicker and thicker and thicker. And when you're shipping to Japan, that costs a lot of freaking money. Paper's yeah. heavy. I take that from me from being a comic book nerd all my <laughs> life and working in the library. And I've worked for book publishers. So, yeah. Yes. Paper be heavy. And that really nice glossy paper is even heavier. Heavier. That's right. <laughs> it's heavy stuff. Yeah. Trust me. I have. When I get a, a crate of a thousand books, <laughs> I'm just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It, they are heavy. So I have a question for you simply because this is the sort of thing Lou's definitely closer to and stuff. So logistically, um, if you don't mind me asking, how do you do – how do you handle uh, a thousand books that come in from a boat from Japan or uh, China, as it were? Do you have your own warehouse or do you do it uh, early Gygax style and storm in your garage? Okay. So originally I had my own room, but I now have a storage unit. Uh, it's 20 by 10 or so. It's full of shelves and everything goes, you know, I, uh, when it comes now, the last book order I got shipped, my books come, I use a printer in the U S so I use Wallsworth okay. printing. 
I love them. Uh, they ship them. Uh, it came on a pallet, you know, a thousand books comes mm-hmm. on one pallet, and they set it in my driveway. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay, put it there. And then I carry, you know, of course I have my my uh, Kickstarter backers, and so I know how many books I need to ship out. So I take those, and those go into my dining room. And then uh, the rest go into my pickup truck, and I take them to the storage unit, and up on the shelves they go. Uh, usually I've cleared out a space before <laughs> I'm ready for them, and that's, that's what I do. And then I do all my own shipping because if I paid somebody to ship – you know, every time I pay somebody to do something that I could do, that's money out of my pocket, right? That's right. Yeah. You know, and so I'll sit here and I can probably pack 50 books a night. Okay. I've gotten it down that well. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, into a, a sleeve, fold it over, lots of tape. And I use stamps.com. Boom. Here come the labels. Just, <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it works out well for me, and um, you know, I, I and the post office, my local post office, knows whenever I got a Kickstarter completing. Because here come the, but <laughs> you know. uh, you're wheeling uh, them in. <laughs> now, uh, the last Kickstarter I did though was the second edition of Dinosaur Fighting, and that actually came on three pallets, and I had to go pick them up because they only shipped them from China to a. Um, facility at the dfw airport and so i actually had to go rent a u-haul trailer and take it you know they told me how big the pallets were so i got a trailer just big enough and went and they loaded them with a forklift onto the pallet and then i drove it to my storage unit we unloaded them all except for what i needed to ship brought those home took the trailer back so i you know when they come in it's a lot of work for me but i'm just i'm yeah, just so shocked at the absolute glamorous life of a <laughs> yes right? i mean that's that's what a game designer it you know and now i have so many products of course my best-selling products are still my dice i i have ton you know i i created a bunch of different sets of dice uh, my best-selling ones are my cthulhu insanity dice so you know when you go insane in the game there's charts in the book on what to do. Well, right. you know, you're in the middle of a fight. You know, the monster's coming in. Here comes the flying polyp. This character goes insane. Everybody else wants to do something. And then this character's over here. What happened to me? What happened to me? And you're like, get out the book and start looking for the chart. <laughs> right. So I pulled those charts off and put them on dice. And uh, so now I just pull, you know, grab the die, throw the die. Uh, that's what happens to you. A lot of times I'll <laughs> even let them roll them themselves. Here roll it <laughs> you know and uh, uh that's and it makes it you know great and i sell those just continually they've been out about three years now and i've sold probably 30 this week you know nice. they just and so you know they just go into a quick envelope and off to the mail they go you know but uh, now if somebody wanted to order any of your products what's the easiest way to do it yes tell us your website <laughs> www.newcomicgames.com and then slash shop, you know, there or there's a link on the website to take you to shop. And I've got it broken down by, you know, here's my Call of Cthulhu stuff. Here's my, you know, novelty dice and stuff like that. So yeah, I was checking out at the at the the site, you know, in my downtime at work, and uh, it's a really nice put together site, easy to navigate. I I like that. So okay, cool, thanks. I don't put a lot of work into it, but I try to make it. <laughs> you easy. know what? It, less moving parts is not always a bad thing. Right. So, 
anyway, I, I, I don't like the ones that are, you know, I'm, you want to shop, go here. You want to buy this? It's right here. You know, I hate the ones where you can't figure out where to get stuff. So fun clicks. Yeah. Would anybody mind if we skipped the, uh, the Holy grail, uh, portion of the podcast? Just because we're going no. a little long here, but I still got some questions. Oh, wait, you, you got something? Troublemaker. You've got me nervous on this. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, the Holy Grail is, is good. No, it's yeah. uh, it's just yeah. what we're looking for in gaming, and yeah, I, okay. I, I'm far more interested in this than uh, than going on with that. I think the the listeners would be too. This is kind of a little bit like that, though, because we're asking questions about how the sausage is made, you know, and I'm one of these people I find that fascinating. I'll listen to podcasts where they interview comic book shop owners and publishers, and I'm interested in, uh, you know, how they have to fight with Diamond and how they have to do stuff. It, you know, doesn't mean I, you know, I'm into that part of it, but I, (laughs) I, I find that stuff fascinating. I just do so. All right. Well, well it's not ahead. magic, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> and, and, and then, that? folks, I, I might have to edit out this next question because I, I didn't get a uh, – I don't know if I'm allowed to ask this or not. But uh, So at the convention that I met you at, Ben, we played a game, oh, the Zeta Complex. And you oh, said yes. you're kind of working on it, thinking about developing it. Is, is that something we can expect from new comic games, or is that still kind of on the back burner? Well, it has been on the back burner for a couple of years, and I guess I'm nervous about putting too much time and effort into it because will it ever pay off, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it used to be I just did things for fun, but now i got to actually think about, well, is it, you know, I have a budget <laughs> for my <laughs> for my company that I have to actually cover. And um, I, it, it's to a point where I don't have to worry about it now, but it's, you know, I, I think about, you know, I always have so many different project ideas I want to well, do. Opportunity and like, cost kind of thing. Right. And at some point, I want to just stop down and work on this. And I've been working on it slowly for a couple of years. I, I, I don't know if I can tell. people what tell. it was. Do you want to tell people what it is? <laughs> All right. So the, the name of the game is called Zeta Complex. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the game Paranoia or not. Oh. Uh, and uh, I used to love Paranoia. And I actually at North Texas RPG Con, this became a big thing. I got tired of running D&D there because that's all anybody ever ran, right? Everybody was running D&D. And I was like, it'd be nice if we had some alternatives. So I kind of put out a survey, what would y'all like? And I actually put, I know we didn't, we haven't talked about Lords of Creation yet. We were going to. Um <laughs> And uh, I said, do y'all, would y'all rather do like a Lords of Creation thing or would you rather do Paranoia? It was overwhelming Paranoia. And I said, okay, great. So I uh, I ran it one year, and it ran Thursday night. It was a huge hit, and everybody loved it. And so then it became a tradition that I would run Paranoia every year. And one of the years I wrote one, uh, an adventure module called um, Maybe Clones Aren't Such a bad, uh, Good Thing. And it was based on <laughs> Jurassic Park, uh, where they were cloning dinosaurs. And um, the the players loved it. I mean, they were just like standing is standing ovation at the end of the game. I was shocked because that had never happened to me before. I don't know if you as a DM ever got a standing ovation at the end I've of a game. I've been in one where at the end of it we stood up and gave the, the GM. Yeah. <laughs> but I've never gotten one. Yeah, they're very Next rare. Time, Thomas, was, I'll give you one. It was the only time I've ever gotten it. And so they were like, you got to print this. And I'm like, well, you know, at this time I actually wasn't 
new comic games yet or anything. So I so I I went ahead and printed it. I used Kablam Printing, which does comic book printing yep. and stuff. And I got some high school girl to do some art. So it's it's very campy and it looks like crap, <laughs> but it, it, it you know. And I put it together and I I printed it and I handed like the players who played in it got a copy and then I sold a few, and actually they still sell. Um, and I, I put it up on drive through RPG for like a buck 99 or something, you know, just almost giving it away and drive through RPG contacted me and said that the people who own the rights to paranoia said, you can't run this, uh, can't sell this here anymore. And I said, well, it actually doesn't say paranoia anywhere on there. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm infringing on their copyright. And because I, I wrote it in first edition paranoia rules, I didn't use their latest even. And they were like, uh, so they put me in direct contact with the P. I think it's Mongoose. Is yeah, that who runs Mongoose? And so I told them, I said, listen, I'm selling for like 99 cents or buck 99 or whatever it was. And uh, I'd sold maybe four copies. And they were like, well, you can't do that. That's our copyright. And I'm like, I don't think it is because it's not actually anywhere on there. And uh, they said, well, we still think it is. I said, all right, listen, I do license agreements with Chaosium and uh, some other company. And how about, because this is years after I'd already printed. I said, what if I license with you guys? I'll redo all the artwork. I'll re, you know, redo the, the material. I'll put it out professional. And listen, I've been running these paranoia games for six or seven years at this con. I have six or seven adventures ready to go, you know, yeah. to to print. And, you know, just need some editing and uh, some artwork, and we're good to go. And uh, I said, how about I put out a series of adventures for your game? I'll get the latest rules. I'll update it and everything. And they're like, I don't think we're really interested. And I said, well, here's a free copy Mm -hmm. of the book. Check it out. If you like the adventure, let me know. And I knew they'd like it because everybody reads it, loves it. And they're like, well, we really like the adventure, but we're still not interested. I'm like, you know what? Screw you guys. (laughs) So so now I've created a paranoia clone (laughs) called Zeta Complex. And um, I'm hopefully going to be putting that out pretty soon. Uh, I wrote my own rules for it. And, you know, it's the computer is no longer your friend. <laughs> it is. They've gone from Alpha Complex, if y'all are paranoia players, you know what that means, to Zeta Complex, and this is Mankind's Last Hope. So that's that's kind of the theory behind the game. But it's the same basic uh, environment. You know, the computer runs everything, and you, you're put on ridiculous missions trying to solve, and you go through clones, you know, kind of like popcorn. So anyway, but that's that's yeah, Zeta cool. Complex. I, I'm excited right, nice. for it, man. I gotta tell you, I mean, like, I, I'm a big paranoia fan, but the mechanics of paranoia sometimes work against the the comedy and the the willy nilliness of the theme of the game. Uh, you know, yeah. you gotta cross reference charts and this and that. Your version with the the way it plays and the the speed at which it plays, uh, and yet it still captures that that kind of dark noir humor. Uh, I just love it, man. I'm looking forward. Well, thanks. To it. I appreciate it. So, yeah, uh, hopefully awesome. I'll, I'm, I'm, I've kind of got it penciled in for this for 2021. So we'll see, we'll see. I'm, I'm hoping to do that. So all right, all right. So uh, we're gonna 
go on to uh, letters from the homeowners association. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. My opinion is letter writer is a total wacko. All right, we got a couple different letters today. Uh, so uh, I- I'm gonna I'm gonna do some name dropping here. Uh, for our last podcast, uh, we covered the uh, X8 fire on, or I'm sorry, drums on fire mountain. Uh, and you I, don't even know our podcast. What is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so anyhow, uh, I, uh, I'd kind of been asking around about this adventure prior to recording. And, uh, I got back some information from, uh, Steve winners, uh, or Steve winner. I mean, uh, about that module. So he was working as uh, one of the main editors, line editors at uh, TSR uh. at the time. Now, he was TSR on the U.S. side of things, uh, and, and that module, of course, came from the U.K. He said that, yeah. uh, this is him, uh, that's one of the adventures that was produced entirely in the U.K. We received it as ready for the press boards. The only input we had was that we were horrified by the cover. <laughs> we couldn't replace it. <laughs> so this, uh, for those of you that haven't seen the cover, it's, uh, you know, you got the orcs with green skin. But they're obviously these uh, Polynesian individuals with big yes. afros and anyhow. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that's that. it. That's <laughs> it, Ben. The face palm. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Those who don't have video, but yeah, he just face palms. Uh, <laughs> I remember. Uh, he said that uh, that uh, but Harold Johnson got one of those in-house illustrators. I don't remember who uh, to repaint the main figures in green. So that they would look less raci- le- less like racial stereotypes. So they knew even then. Don't so tell do me so much. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had a rant a little bit. Uh, visually, that didn't help all that much. Yeah. But unfortunately, that was all that we were allowed to do. And then I asked him, well, you know, uh, just how much <laughs> autonomy did the UK had ever have? And uh, he said that the that the US had very little interaction with the UK office. And uh, from his point of view, that it, he believed that they had pretty much complete independence. The Fiend Folio and the uh, other projects they worked on were hands-off to the U.S. end of uh, things as far as their creators wow. and, and designers. Um, so they, all, all That's that stuff, really odd to me. Yeah. He yeah. said they all, basically only the upper, uh, upper echelon of the company was able to say or do anything that affected that office. That doesn't make any sense to me. There's going to be one ruler to rule them all, yeah. and they can make the, they can say yay or nay. I mean, as far I mean, it yeah. just I don't know. Well, and I think that's sense. what he's saying here is it kind of like stopped you know up on the Jim Ward you know Gary Gygax level oh. things here. And um, they're like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. <laughs> is it making money? Keep going, keep going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gygax is like, does it get me another bump of coke? I don't care. <laughs> oh. Oh this my. is our all drugs episode apparently. <laughs> <laughs> These guys. Bad. <laughs> so. Hey, he just oh. lived the the California high life. <laughs> I'm okay. Anyway. Oh. So you name dropped Steve, but yeah. you didn't say what he's famous for. Of course, you know with Gamma World and Boot Hill. But yeah. That too. Yeah. <laughs> you you got to make sure you, you throw that out there. Yeah, because Gamma World has been revisited so many times, and it's gotten so many homages. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. a perennial. Yes. First, first sci-fi. Well, I guess Metamorphosis Alpha, which it came from, was the first sci-fi RPG yeah. in existence. Well, you wouldn't have what we're playing now, Mutant Crawl Classics, without oh, it. Right, yeah. right. And then the other one, we get to participate on this one. 
Uh, this came from uh, Dave Forcher, I believe is how you would say his name. Uh, and he asks, what's the strangest character you've ever portrayed in a role-playing game? <laughs> okay. Uh, so I'll funny. let you guys go first. <laughs> okay, I'm, I, I'm already lit, so here we go. Um, oh, boy. Uh, well, no, I, I've been having bourbon, and I've thought about this. He's had a drink. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, I haven't really had any characters that I've not enjoyed playing, but I've had uh, other people with their characters that I have not enjoyed them playing. Uh, but outside of that... Uh, so what, what's the strangest one now. that you've been? The strangest character you've been like, yeah, I'm going to try this. I'm going to be this kind of person or this kind of thing. Or... Oh, man, I don't know. I, maybe it was like maybe some kind of hoity-toity, hippy-dippy elf in a D&D game, and that's just not me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm uh, shocked. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, I tend to play, you know, overly uh, alcoholic, you know, dwarves. Um uh, <laughs> Not unlike me in real life. Yeah, I was going to say, for those of you that are uh, listening to the podcast, you, you cannot, uh, you know, you, you cannot appreciate the visual that is Thomas. You know, because yeah. he is. I mean, you look at any dwarf out of any uh, D&D project and uh, okay. that's now, him. Now, in my defense, um, okay, not really in my defense, but in the D&D second edition dwarves handbook, the high end height of a dwarf is 5'7". I am 5'7". So, so, there you go. Yeah. So he's the so taller you, you one. The dwarf. Yeah, no, I really put a lot of thought into my characters sometimes. Even the, the stereotypical dwarfish characters, I do like to – you know, I don't get to play as a, as a character too often. I'm often running games. So whatever I pull, whenever I get a chance to play, I'm really having fun with it. But I think it's those times when I'm like, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to push myself as a player. I'm going to, you know, be, like I said, the hippy-dippy dwarf. And then I realize, well, that was stupid. <laughs> and I don't have as much fun playing, though, you know. Um, yeah, I would say anytime I venture too far off of what I really like to play, I'm not having fun with it. Um, but I'd have to say uh, – you know, I don't think I played the character very long because I'm like, this isn't working. Uh, mm. I'm going to make a dwarf. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know to put it in D&D &D terms, you know, uh, that's all I could tell you. Anyway, whoever's next. Anyone? I, you know, I'm honestly, I don't think I've really played something that I didn't like. Um, I'll say that the first bard I played was a little difficult. But after I, the, I love playing the bard, just FYI. A lot of people are like, "What?" It's a lot of fun for me. Um, There's but, like a secret society of gamers who love to play bards, <laughs> and they keep it secret. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because everybody else mocks them. <laughs> it's true. It's I true. I keep people alive, so it's okay. Um, you know, that's a lot of what I the type of bard I play, but. Um, Hey, we're about to do battle. You got a song for that? Well, here I go. And <laughs> yeah. And you know, I have literally sung and all that. But I don't really, I've never played That is cool cuz so, sometimes I try to get players to sing something and like give them a bonus if they'll actually sing it and they won't. Yeah, and too many times they're like, "No, ain't doing it." <laughs> I'll I I don't know how many times I've sung thing. Eye of the Tiger. I think I've sung Eye of the Tiger a lot of times. <laughs> You have. I have. I really, I have. have. I really yeah. have. Oh. Um. <laughs> well, I, I'm actually kind of known around North Texas when it comes to my Cthulhu games. I actually make the players do the chants and do <laughs> the ceremonies and sing the songs. And boy, so, uh, some people, they just oh, that's will awesome. not get into it. So at the last North Texas con, I was playing uh, Battletech in the room below you guys. 
during the Cthulhu game, and uh, we heard like stomping or something on the uh, floor oh. up above. <laughs> like, what's going on? Oh, that's the Cthulhu yeah. game going on. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, is it supposed to be a character you didn't like, or just the strangest the character? Strangest is how I interpreted it. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So my strange usually, uh, I if it's D and D, I'm usually playing. I don't get to actually play. Um, I don't think I've ever played a D and D character I thought was strange. Um, my strangest one I probably played in Tom. Uh, oh gosh, was it Tom Wilson? Is that his name? He he comes down to North Texas every year. And he runs a variety of different games, uh, including uh, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and also uh, Gamma World. And I believe I was in one of his Gamma World games where I was this small female hamster who was uh, <laughs> big on scavenging, right? And she would scavenge anything. And he starts us off in a wrecked 747. Okay, and I'm like, holy crap, this is the holy grail. I don't even want to go on the adventure. I'm just going to scavenge all the electronics out of this plane. And he, he, you know, this totally blew him because he was like, well, no, there's not that much. I'm like, are you kidding? There's wire here. There's tons of plastic, all these gauges, you know, pedals. And so I'm going to start disassembling this thing. And it took him half an hour to get me away from the cockpit of the plane into the actual adventure. That's hysterical. So that was a very strange character I played. Female hamster scavenger. Nice. Oh, yeah, because when I, when I play, I like to really get into my character and really play him the way I think that character would play, even if it's something I wouldn't normally play, like the hipster uh, dwarf. And uh, usually, if I get into it, I I enjoy myself. Now, the only time I really played a character I didn't enjoy as much as I think I should have was I was playing a Firefly game, and we were playing the actual characters from the TV show. That's the and okay. you know, mm-hmm. and um. I ended up with, um, oh my gosh, Summer Glau's character, um, <laughs> River. And I was actually River. And they kind of put me on a spot, do your River thing. And I was just <laughs> like, uh, and I didn't pull it off like I felt I should have. And I, I really didn't enjoy that moment, you know, because everybody was looking mm-hmm. at me to come out with one of these diatribes of, that River does. And, you know, once in a while, like when she was, uh, when Mal was being uh, kept captive before they did the fencing scene, and she comes out and talks about uh, Badger, who's there. And I tried to pull that off, and it just didn't work. And so... Well, what people don't get, re- realize sometimes with that is, you know, well, for one, they're reading from a script, and they right. get multiple takes. <laughs> yes. Right, right. And somebody wrote the ro- words for them. It, it wasn't like she no. came up with this off the top of her head. So. Right. right. She had time to rehearse it and think about it and everything else. So that right. was probably one of my least enjoyable moments as a role player, but, and that was recent too. So that, that was just uh, in the last couple of years. So, uh, but otherwise, yeah. That's, well, that was... I mean, if you're kind of out of your element naturally, then you're not going to be yeah. able to, well, that's to end up, like, for example, I was just thinking, you know, uh, there was a game that Thomas ran and I was princess Leia. And I was like, well, I did pretty well being, princess leia because well heck i used to play her when i was 
a kid. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we would play Star Wars when Star Wars, you know, we, you know, when you actually went outside and pretended <laughs> things and, you know, outside. pretended that your stick was a lightsaber, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, it dates me, but whatever. Um, but, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, because, you know, I had to be mean and kind of – yeah. We were trying to get the information and take it back and blah, blah, blah. You know, so I had. To... I, I ran a one shot Rogue One story before we had the Rogue One movie. Oh, and wow. they were getting the uh, the Death Star plans. And it, that was all part of it, you know. And so she played Princess Leia. And we had a succession of characters who were keep getting killed. And I would just give them another one and be like, here you go. <laughs> get that information for anything. I had to go in there and get it. <laughs> Tell us, was that the yeah, one that was also it. kind of A-team themed? No, I ran that at a Fear of the Con, that and that was it. Okay. Yeah, it was pretty much A-team in the Star Wars universe. That one oh, was itself. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah, but if you're not in your element, it's kind of hard. It, it can know, be. I, I couldn't play a Mal. I couldn't play John Wayne. Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, that That wouldn't fit me yeah. very well. So it would be hard for me to be put on a spot at a con, and I go, oh, crap, I don't know what the heck I'm going to be doing. Well, I got to the – they actually um, did not have a seat available, and I asked – they were completely sold out. So – and both my friends were in the game, so I walked up and asked them if I could join. And they – everybody was like, sure, go ahead, and all they had left was either Simon or River. And I was kind of like – all right, I'll take River. You know, I, I'll really stretch myself. And I had a good time in the game. Don't get me well, wrong. At least with, really potential, you have, with but, River, you have the potential of being a badass. Yeah. and uh, right. But this was before her badass stage. So it was okay, for, yeah. you know, and I was like, ah. So it, it was it was fun, but I still, you know, it was just awkward. Yeah. Because yeah, it, it wasn't, I wasn't in my element. But, uh but like I said, the hamster was probably the the you know strangest character. And every time we came into anything, he started making I'm like we walk in the hall. What do we say? Nothing. It's just plain walls. There's nothing here to scavenge. Oh. <laughs> Don't you get any ideas? Uh, you know what? I can go back to my answer now. I actually I do have the strangest one ever, and it was the first one of the first times I ever created a, a character for D and D five E, and it was a I think it was a Typhling character or whatever. And by yeah. time I got done with it, I looked at it and realized i've made hellboy <laughs> and i don't want to just play hellboy i would just get a hellboy rpg and play hellboy then. so i took the character sheet looked at the guy who was going to be running the game and said i'm not playing this and i created a new character so that's the closest thing i can do <laughs> dwarf virgin 84 <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. what about you louis uh, so I, I've got two, and I'm not sure which is weirder, but when 4th uh, Edition first came out, we were trying it there at the comic shop, and uh, Sorry. I wanted Sorry. to try something fourth, different. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm allergic to that word, so go ahead. <laughs> uh, so uh, anyhow, one of my favorite artists uh, is uh, Don Bluth that uh, did like Secret of Nim and stuff like that. Um, used to work for Disney, struck yeah. out on his own. He Thank also God. did the Dragon's Lair game. There we go. That's where I'm going. Yeah. So, uh, love Dragon's Lair. Uh, it ate like my entire allowance for a whole entire year when I was a kid. And uh, oh yeah. So I like this idea of Dirk the Daring, where all he ever does is make like grunts and hums and hums and stuff. He never really talks. And so I decided to play a, a fighter that never talks. And uh, 
It was real fun for about five minutes. <laughs> and then the whole, <laughs> whole rest of the adventure, because the, the people I'm playing with, uh, mo- some of them were great, but some of them, uh, they were younger kids and didn't know what to do about things. What, and... Was this the group at uh, the one comic shop that you and I met at? Yes, yes. Okay, I know the group you're talking about. So I get it. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was fun for a while, but then I realized that uh, out of all the people playing, I was one of the ones that needed to be able to talk to get the other ones kind of you know, going online here, you know. Uh, and then the other one uh, was also at the comic shop. Uh, I played in a Star Wars game as a uh, droid that was like a little service dog kind of thing. Like I, a, I was in on that game. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of interesting because I was Very like setting myself up to just be a sidekick. You know, I had a lot of fun, but uh, it just was interesting to try to, you know, make sure that you're not the main character, that you're the, you know, ancillary kind of character that's doing things to boost what other people are doing. So kind of like, I guess, the cleric of the Star Wars universe kind of thing. So, so. All right. <laughs> All right. So, guys, uh, I guess that brings us to the main event here. This old dungeon. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. All right, guys. Uh, so we uh, we're doing uh, dealer's choice here. Uh, pick your poison. And uh, today, for the this old dungeon uh, portion of the broadcast, Ben has chosen from 1984 the role-playing game Lords of Creation. Oh yeah, exciting. Right, so, uh, I- I've done a little research on this, and uh, man, uh, Facebook got on fire. <laughs> He's holding up the. the cover of it yeah you can see it's a little version. bit used not in mint condition <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's better than mine i'm holding up my ipad that's all i could find it on yeah i've got a pdf as well because i tried to do an ebay search you can find some of the modules but the the, the core box set oh yeah it's not it is not possible to find very but... salty if you can that that one there yeah yeah wow. It's a bigger box than I thought it'd be. I thought it'd be yeah, a little thinner. Yeah, it's actually. On the other of... hand, yeah. Oh yeah, Lords of uh, Avalon Hill. I didn't know. How, I don't think they knew how to make a slim box. <laughs> no, they didn't at the time. So yeah, it was Avalon Hill who did this. Uh, I don't know who who's the author of this stuff. So Tom, Tom Old they did the. the was it? Book, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I, I actually don't think I ever looked it up or or anything. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so, uh, a guy is so small. <laughs> yeah, there it is by Tom Moldvay. It's really, really small. <laughs> I don't even know if you can see that, but he, he, I guess he didn't want credit for it. I don't know. But yeah. Well, anyway. and all the other credits are on the 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 back of the last page of the uh, the main book there. Because uh, I was I was asking people all sorts of questions, trying to find anything out about it, and it turns out like it lists some of the stuff I was looking for right there. Yeah, a little tiny yeah, rectangle on the back. last page. But. Uh, <laughs> But boy, I put a couple feelers out on Facebook, and uh, man, this this game's got some following. In fact, there's still a Facebook page dedicated to it, and a lot of people have some fond memories of it. Wow. Yeah. Just one of those games that stumbled into my hands uh, in the uh, 80s and actually ran a campaign of it about 88 and uh, 89, somewhere in that time frame, and uh, we had a blast with it. I, I like its simplicity. It's a real, you know, you can go through... Any multiverse, you know, it's kind of a Doctor Who 
uh, thing, but you can also mm-hmm. jump dimensions. So you can be in fantasy, you can be science, fantasy, modern day, you know, historical. Um, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, future sci-fi, and you can jump from location to location all the time. And uh, that's what you know. I had my characters running through, so uh, we had a blast. I loved the game. So anyway, I only did the one campaign of it, and then we flipped back, but. Everybody still love D and D. Oh, go back to my fighter, you know. But while we did it, we were just looking for something different for a while, and it was a lot of fun. So, I did find a little bit of information that via one thing that's interesting is this game was actually being test played at the uh, the dungeon hobby shop. They're basically underneath TSR. They're at the the base level of their, oh, wow. their company, but yet it was published by Avalon Hill, and I'm still waiting to hear back. Uh, Lawrence uh, Schick told me to email him his, the questions I had, and he'd get back with me. So I'm waiting to hear back. Maybe on the next episode I can update you guys on what he said. But there had to be some interesting story there behind why Tom, while still working at TSR, published with Avalon. Well, yeah. I did a little research myself, and it seems that, well, one of the first places that Gygax marketed or tried to sell D&D was Avalon Hill, and they passed. And so that went to the creation of TSR, and they pretty much, you know, self-published D&D, and it was that huge hit that it was. And then Avalon Hill came to Gygax later and basically was like, hey, we've we've changed our mind. We'd like to buy this now. And Gygax was like, um, no, because <laughs> he realized what he had. And so Avalon Hills decided to get into their own RPG thing, and you got Lords of Creation and then <clears throat> Powers and Perils, if you've ever seen that. <laughs> Have you seen I the cover seen of that? I have never played that. Powers and Perils? I used to own a copy of oh, yeah? Powers and Perils. You want to know where I bought it back in the late 80s? Big Lots. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have it anymore. I took it to a friend of mine. And uh, I was like, man, I can't make head nor tails of this. And he's like, yeah, neither can I. And then we had another friend who bought a copy at the same Big Lots. And he goes, oh, I, I got this. All, you know, I, I know all about this. And we looked at him and we just basically said, you are lying. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get regular D&D. Don't tell me you're getting Powers and Perils. Which recently on the Facebook, uh, you know, Powers and Perils is like, you know, if uh, – if White Wolf put out Accountant the Numbering, Powers and Perils would beat that. <laughs> okay, that was crazy. But anyway, back to Lords of Creation. Right, yeah, back to Real Lords quick on the Powers and Perils, when I when I was looking at the research online, I saw the cover of it. I was like, man, that is a sharp-looking cover. Oh, yeah. And I was like, it, it reminds me of something. And then I got to reading, and uh, I guess they got in trouble because their artist uh, took the uh, – oh, what's the guy's name? Boris uh, – Vallejo? Vallejo. Yeah, Vallejo. They took Boris Vallejo paintings and basically, you know, put vellum over it and then drew, you know, their own version of just the same painting just with, you know, some details. So they swiped Boris Vallejo. Oh, wow. (laughs) Nobody's going to recognize that. (laughs) Well, early editions of uh, D&D were swipes of Starenko art from Nick Fury, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Conan and stuff, yeah. Yeah. Damn, but, and then uh, uh, I guess uh, Tom had been writing a novel called uh, what was it called? Uh, Tom of Bedlam was the operating title for it, and he never got it published. But I guess a lot of his ideas for this RPG came from that novel. Okay, interesting. Good stuff. Yeah. It is. So. We we do like the trivia and how the sausage is made on here yeah. too. 
So have y'all ever played Lords of Creation? Never in my life. No. Just finished, no. Just finished reading oh, wow. it this week. <laughs> um, I got to tell you, until you mentioned it to Lou that we're going to run it on this, I had never heard of it. Oh, wow. Uh, it was. He just said, is there something old from the 80s? And at first I was I was going to bring up Paranoia, and I thought, no, no, I don't want to really talk about them. So, <laughs> I, uh, no, I'm glad. Glad. Uh, so I was like, you know, what about Lords of Creation? Uh, it, it's a really cool little system. Uh, you know, you, everything's you, – it is some number crunching in here, but, yeah. it's, but it's not like during the game. It's between games, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you roll for your basic stats, and then that gives you a power pool to buy skills with. And, um, you know, but like if you have skill level four, you know, you have an 80% chance to do something of that. You know, you just multiply each level by 20%. Yeah. So if you're skill level five, it's actually 95% because 96 and above always fails. And it's a basic skill percentage system. It was first percentage system I'd ever seen. You know, um, I think I even played this before I played Call of Cthulhu. So I just love the ability to go anywhere you know and yeah. i ran uh my campaign that i ran in and we ran about seven or eight scenarios i didn't, i'd forgotten i'd run that many i went back and was actually looking in my old notebook here oh, old notebook <laughs> oh, you make yeah. me feel like uh, like i'm not as big a geek as what i thought i was because i got my <laughs> little spiral notebooks of all the games i've ran yeah, and, I hope no one sees and me. And I caring. was flipping through there, and I have seven or eight scenarios written up in there. I'm like, I forgot about this. Oh, I forgot about this one. I forgot about. <laughs> I'd remembered two out of the ones I had run, and then I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot about all these others. Uh, you know, and of course the two that stuck out in my head were uh, actual real history ones. That's the ones I always enjoy the most. Mm-hmm. Is uh, so the first one, the very matter of fact, it's their very first adventure they go on in this. I kind of throw them into it, and uh, they get thrown back into London, 1880s at uh, uh, Jack the Ripper. Going Jack on. the Ripper is nice at Whitechapel, and he has murdered about four more girls than actually happened in history, and um, they know this information, right? So they know. Jack the Ripper wasn't stopped for whatever reason that he stopped in real life. He didn't stop here. And they think they catch the guy, and then the murders keep happening. So they have to let that guy go, and then they catch somebody else, and then the murders keep happening. And it's this evil group that's continuing the murders even beyond, and there's more than one. So, right. And they have to get those down. And then one of the last ones we ran after they had jumped through other several realms of, of fun stuff, uh, the last one, uh, they end up at the Battle of Gettysburg. And the evil side <laughs> is, you know, of course, a lot of that battle, if you're familiar with that battle in history, um, there was – and I, I forget the name of the hill now – but it, it anchored the Union line. You know, they had a, a circle of hills that almost looks like a fish, uh, fish hook. And at the mm-hmm. top of the fish hook, uh, there was a hill that Lee told one of the generals to go and take that night before uh, the Union soldiers were able to do that. Well, he marched to the base of the hill and says, you know what, we'll take it in the morning. Well, during that night, the Union soldiers moved in, and that stopped them from flanking the Union on that hill and ended up losing the war a battle because, and I think eventually the war, I think if the union had lost there, it would have been a definite bad sign for the rest of the U S for a long time. Mm -hmm. Anyway. So the bad guys were going to take the hill that night. 
and <laughs> they had to come in and convince the Union soldiers to come and and take it first. And it, it it was a lot of fun. They had a blast with that one. And that was oh, I think that might have been like the the end of the whole thing. You know, that kind of uh, right. finished it off with a flare. And I, I always love it when I can take real history like that. And it, so it's teaching as well as actually getting to be a part of that. And all of us learned a lot because I always have to go through and do the the research. Of course, back in the eighties, you're actually going to the library and doing research. Yes. Right? There isn't no Wikipedia. Right. Me gaming no, there was an encyclopedia. That's what yes. That was. But uh, yeah, so yeah, that was some you know. But we also went to to fantasy worlds and we went to sci-fi worlds and all sorts of stuff. And they were dealing with robots. And then I'd also picked yeah. up one of the uh, the adventure books, uh, the Yeti Sanction, and I know we had done that one, uh, but that was a lot of fun as well. I don't know if y'all can see that or not, but so that that's a box, right? So did the book yeah, come okay. in the box, huh? Yeah, uh, and there was an the adventure was in the box, so um, it's not in there right now. Like that. Yeah, the, that was kind of weird. Huh. And they went with that weird yellow on all of them, so I guess you could they'd stand out, you know. But uh, that almost AD and D orange. Uh -huh. right? I was going to say that looks like AD and D orange, which you know I think is an actual color. <laughs> is it, is it called AD and orange? I don't know. Well, I don't know, but you, the the second edition of all the AD and D books had that uniform orange spine. Yeah, on the back spine. So for the yeah. freaking fiend folio. <laughs> yeah. UK. Yeah, yeah, the the blue book, right? So. Yeah. Oh, but you gotta love the Fiend Folio. Oh, it had it so is. much weird crap in it. It is one of probably the best well, the Monster Manual. Speaking of which, uh, with Lords of Creation, it came with what two two books in the box set. Right. But what I thought was really interesting was the uh, the second book was more or less their Monster Manual. Mm -hmm. Book of and, Foes. Yeah, the Book of yeah, Foes. Book if you of look foes. at it. I wish, you know, we, you know, this is an audio podcast, but you look at the write-ups and you look how the layouts are done with the uh -huh. art and everything. And if you were to pull out a monster manual, they, they, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Yeah. At, 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 a, at first glance, they would look so similar. Very similar. I mean, other than the name of the stats that you're right, the justification of it all, the way things are bolded, the way, where they put the picture, just like mm -hmm. the original. Oh, layout. Just audio the layout. Only. So I'm showing these pictures and people well, you know, like, I mean, we will can be put able some to on our see, Facebook page. But no mm -hmm. none of it, nobody but yeah, they put a picture and then they'd have the name and then the stats and right. yeah, so I don't know if you can see that or not, but yeah. back monster stats were just like a paragraph, not a whole page just for one monster. Oh yeah. Oh my <laughs> gosh. You know, I've I've written some D and D books and so and I wrote them I, I still play first edition and uh I'm old school that way. And I, I, so I write my D and D stuff for first edition, but then now that I'm publishing stuff, I have to also write it for five E. Otherwise, it doesn't sell, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the books are oh, yeah, like yeah. a thirty-six page book becomes forty pages going That's to five E simply because of the monster set blocks are so much bigger. Wow. It's just, it, yeah, that's the difference. Right. So, 
No, I was going to say the the one thing I really liked about it uh, when I was reading it, it doesn't really come through in the core rule book, but the setting of it, which seems to expand as you go, is the part that I really liked about it. Rules and everything aside, I love the idea that pretty much everyone, it's almost like a superhero, you're a a time lord, doctor who, everyone's got powers and you can go to these alternate dimensions. But what I really like about it is the idea that as you go and as you get more powerful, you'll actually get your own little pocket universe to design. (laughs) And it's got this, it's, it's built into the rules that if your group of people uh, go into your pocket universe that you design, then you become the game master and they're having adventures in your universe. Your universe, yes. Yeah, and it's... then if they left and go to another one, that person takes over because this is their universe. I love that meta aspect of it. I think it's really cool yeah. and encourages cool. other people to be creative and become game masters. Yes. We never got into that part of it, but yes, I I like it's that. It's there in the rules. It really yes, it is. Well, it looks like everything's kind of tiered. Like as you gain experience levels, you get these different powers, uh, and then right. the last of the time powers, I think, is the creation power where you make your own universe. Yes. And yeah, it's it, almost it, like you go to Time Lord and Gods. It's like yeah, uh, right. it's like Absolutely. that silver immortal box set from Beckme. <laughs> like the whole game is that. Yes. But you start <laughs> off small. I mean, you start off as regular people with regular skills, no powers. And then, you know, oh, I got a little experience and, you know, now I'm bigger and buffer and, oh, I get a power and I get another power, you know, because everybody gets a set of powers, right? There's a, you know, when I make second level, I get, you know, I'd have to look now. I forgot. Second level is dimensional language. Is it? Yeah. So, uh, no. uh, Yeah. So at first, first level, you get dimensional sight. So, you know, when you're dubbed to be, you know, a Lord of Creation or whatever, you get dimensional sight so you can see stuff other people can't see. And then you get dimensional language and then special projection and all sorts of stuff. Oh, God, I guess I'm getting old. It's hard to read now. Uh, to, <laughs> you know, uh, down to double healing and stuff. And finally, construction, which is the last one. So it's pretty cool. But uh, in addition to that, you also get other powers and everybody has different powers and it's it's really cool. Yeah, I really it's, it's, it's got such a, a breadth of stuff as far as like I mean there's there's all different skills that you can imagine from all different eras of time and, and genres of, uh, of right. storytelling. But then there's also like you said powers like you can get you know cyborg implants. You can get magical powers. Right. You, I mean it's it is crazy. I mean you could go through several adventures and, and wind up being this fantastic uh, uh, collage of, of of genres you know in your character. So if you want something wild and, and crazy, uh, Lords of Creation is a great game to, to go check out. So anyway, did, uh, I uh, highly recommend it. Thomas, when you were looking at it, did you feel it? Because uh, when I was looking at the, the skill system to me where it has the like skill trees and then the branches underneath them, um, mm-hmm. I was totally thinking Star Frontiers, which was also a property that uh, Tom Moldbane mm-hmm. helped uh, develop. Did yeah, I thought that, that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did. I got that feel throughout the whole thing, actually. Um, it just had you know just that really cool. Um, the like art I said, kind of reminds me of it. Yeah, I, I kind of got caught up, like I said, on the setting idea and stuff. As the more I looked at it and stuff, and and very much you know you could see because I, I believe this predates Star Frontiers. Yeah. Uh, okay. By I'm not 100 percent sure. Years, I think. I think. It, uh, this, yeah. This was published or copywritten in '83, and I think Star Frontiers is '85. I think. Maybe yeah, not. something. Like, I'm, I maybe. can check that. I don't know. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, but, we'll do some fact checking while we talk. 
Fact but, checking. Here you go. Yeah. Well, yeah. one of the things that we always do is like, how would we take this rule system or this setting or something like this? How would we update it? Because this is, you know, this whole dungeon. We talk about, you know, uh, renovating game ideas and stuff like that. And uh, as I was looking at it, now some people are going to, you know, they're going to go sideways when I say this word, but with all the different settings that are involved with it and all the different powers and everything else, the one thing that came to mind uh, was GURPS yeah. and all those rule books and all those setting books. And I'm a big, I'm a bit of a GURPS nerd. Now you take, um, you take something like GURPS, and you, you think it's hard to find players for Call of Cthulhu. It's harder to play people who will even look at GURPS, you know, because it's got this reputation of being as crunchy as a, you know, peanut brittle. But right. as I always say, it's got this, it, it's also very modular. It can be as crunchy or as light as you want, you know, and it just seemed to have that real solid feel to it. And I thought one of the ways I would update this is, do you guys remember at least the first season of it, uh, the TV show Heroes? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. This gave me a little bit of a feel for that. They start as just normal people, and then they develop their powers, okay. and then things start to ramp up. Um, that's an aspect of that it reminded me of. Uh, hmm. Just they start normal and then develop their powers, and then everything goes sideways from there. Um, but it reminded me a lot of Heroes, and I loved Heroes. I watched everything of Heroes. <laughs> I watched Heroes to the bitter end, and it was <laughs> bitter. End. And it was pretty bitter. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. That end was you. bitter. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that first season is like perfect. It is so fun. Yeah. And then, then the second happened? season, yeah, the second season of Heroes had the writer strike. Do, do you guys think of, that it I... had the writer strike? Yeah, that's you true. Know? I was gonna ask. Yeah. Do you guys think that J.J. Abrams got like writing lessons from Stephen King? Because it's that same, like, awesome, 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 what the hell kind of ending, you know, yeah. all this stuff. He's got that projection, man. Yeah, well, J.J. Abrams didn't do Heroes. He didn't? I thought that was his, I thought he produced that no. series. No, that was Tim Crane. Oh, okay. My bad. Yeah. No, J.J. Abrams did Lost. I, I don't that, that's know, the, that's the second the mistake things. I've made tonight because uh, fact, fact Check showed that uh, Star Frontiers was 82. So this actually oh, did so come out the year after time. that. After. Yeah. Uh-huh. So. Oh, well, that explains a lot, too. Uh-huh. I think told, Tom Moldvay did this. He's like, I'll use this idea that I've been working on with this book. And, you know, more or less, it seems like he was given free reign and cashed the and check. Good for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, one thing as a designer I didn't get is, um, so the skill system is percentile. But it goes yeah. in, in big chunks. Like, you don't wind up, as far as I can see, you, you'll never wind up with, like, an 83% or an 80 or a, right. you know, 62. It's always, like, even numbers. Um, yeah, that's correct. Or, or, you know, by 10%. Uh, but then the combat system is D20-based. I just don't understand why they didn't just all go D20. You know what I mean? I don't see the advantage to, you know what I mean? Like, like why not say it's your skill, skill level times 4 on a D20 versus... Skill level times twenty percent on a D hundred. Who knows? Uh, yeah, I, I have like, a feeling it had to do with the different dice because if you look at it early on, um, it's, it's he when they're going through the description of the dice, they've got all these different kind of what would yeah, which now you would look at and go, oh, that's like Goodman Games, Dungeon Crawl Classics, or Mutant <laughs> Crawl Classics. Uh, part two, creating characters, and it goes through the details of the dice to generate mm-hmm. a one. One to two, roll any die, odds equals whatever, and you know, odds equals one, um, uh, even equals two. two. Yeah. Yeah. On a, to roll a D3, take a six sided and divide it by three. Uh, divide it, you know, uh, generate a one to five, roll a D10, generate a one D6. 
Uh, there's even generate two to 16, roll both six sided dice and the 10 sided dice and add the two. I mean, it gets very complicated. Yeah, that that was the one I looked at and went, oh, God, I forgot about the two to 16. <laughs> you know what? Goodman Games and the Zuki dice or whatever you want to say, it, they oh, yeah. actually have some of these. Yeah. already they've got those weird yeah. odd funny shaped dice yeah you know but what's interesting so, is like you, you look through the rules and like the only time you ever make like any of those weird rolls is like the damage on a weapon like other than that what? it's like you never make them it's yeah yeah, yeah. And, well and i think maybe it was that whole thing like i said i think this was an avalon hill response mm -hmm. to D and and they wanted people to use the dice uh-huh I mean, that's, that's what game, just, that's what role playing is, is using yes. the funny dice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. just guessing, you know, <laughs> yeah, as opposed, be. you know, and they, as, were, they had percentage dice in there. They needed them for something. So, <laughs> Hey, let's put them on skill rolls. Let's create a mechanic to use these. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, one of the things I didn't like about the game and we might've changed it. I don't remember now, but on your uh, roll to hit, it goes from one to 19 and at low, when you have a 20 score, it's also 19 because 20 always misses. Uh, and then when you go to 21, you get two attacks, but you need 11 to hit. Mm -hmm. I okay. saw that and I was like, what? That kind of screws you yeah. up a little. <laughs> so now you have two attacks, but you only hit on an 11. And then when you get up to a certain point, then you get three attacks hitting on 11. And I didn't like how you would go up and up and up and then back down and then up and up and up and back down. But you know, that, that was kind of the, what they did. Would you rather have two attacks with a 55% chance or one with a 95% chance? Right. And so. As you describe that, that. Yeah. As you described that, I think, Oh wow. Hold on. Let me fill out my 1040. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and see if I can do this. Cause the more you make, then uh, I'm going into a different tax bracket. And I'm like, it's, it, it's filing your taxes, the RPG. Yeah, it's not quite that bad. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, and, and they make it pretty simple. They put the chart in here and say, and like I said, it's between games and between games you figure out, okay, this is what I need to hit. But I think we always gave people the option that, you know, because they had a nice little chart here. Well, I think you just, you hit on part of it too. Older games, it was all about charts. New games now are all about formulas. Right. So, well, and, and I gotta say, like, like Ben's saying, I mean, really, all the crunch of this game, and it does have a bit, is all kind of in like character upkeep. When you're running the game, right. it looks like it's Creates really just a matter of, yeah, of yeah. adding, you know, points for advantages or subtracting points for disadvantages in in a particular role, uh, which seems pretty fluid. Yeah. Especially and they have a chart for that as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Typical Avalon Hill, right? You, you got your right. charts of pluses and minuses, so. <laughs> It was the, uh, the, what really attracted me to it was the different possibilities, right? Mm -hmm. You have endless possibilities of what you could do with your, your, your game. Y'all want to play fantasy this week? Yep. Great. We have a fantasy world. You want to go sci-fi? We got a sci-fi world. We want to do, you know, historical? Boom. We got a history set, you know, and it just, right. whatever you wanted to do that week. So. Well, and that's, I think that's where that game is ahead of its time. I will mm -hmm. say that because I think the setting part of it is very much ahead mm -hmm. of its time. This is the sort of thing you could do with GURPS or, you know, just going with the setting, Savage Worlds. Right. You know, yeah, any kind you of, know. you know, even create your own, you know, whatever you want to use for it. Or a 5e clone and use it. Or Beck Me. There's a lot of, or BX, more like BX. And 
I, I find it very fascinating. I, I like the, I, and like I said, my favorite part is the meta part where you go to the different people's worlds and <laughs> yeah, you but have, they have to, to actually it. do something, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, which I think would be a great way. I used to um, – I ran for a very short time before the whole pandemic thing happened. I was running uh, D&D 5E because that's what the kids want at the library, at a library that I was in. Campaign. Uh, we were going through Search of the Unknown, so that was a lot of fun and stuff. But this would be, I, I think, a great teaching tool, that meta part mm-hmm. of it, to try and get kids to step out, you know, embrace their creativity. One of the great things about RPGs is it helps with math skills, helps with socialization skills, helps with all these different things, you know, kind of like the soft skills it works with too. And I think that this whole setting, you know, you're working with the kids, you're playing, you're advancing your characters, creating your worlds. And then I can look at, you know, little Timmy and say, okay, next week you get to run the game because we're visiting your universe. Yeah. I think that'd be a great, great, great teaching tool. Well, that yeah, of course, like before they can do that, they have to go through a year worth of campaign in this. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, and hopefully during that time, they're learning the game, they're getting more secure and right. with people that they're playing with, and uh, yeah, so they can step out of their box. And, right, and that yeah. was part of it. That's why libraries do this. It encourages reading, encourages math skills, encourages that socialization, public speaking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or, you know, how to, like, compromise with people or, you know, work with people. Yeah, that's part of it, too. And I ran it at kind of inner city branch. So some of these kids didn't have these opportunities to nerd out. And a lot of them really, really loved it. Yeah. Well, I find most people I introduce it to love, you know, role-playing games. So it's just a matter of getting them to try it more than anything else. Well, the the funny part about that too is you know you can talk to a person who's like oh i could never play dnd or this or that and grab a coin actually allison and i did this once and uh she was like how does a role-playing game work when we first started dating and i said well it's a kind of a game of let's pretend like when you were a kid but now you roll the dice to kind of help make the decisions and we're sitting there and i said okay so we're here we're doing this thing uh you know I, I think I gave the example of uh, someone came in and they're making an attack. I said, okay, so I've got a number between my head, find a number. And she would look, I said, find a number on someone around here. And someone walked by with a Jersey and had the number two on it. And I said, she goes a two. I go, okay, that's success. And I said, so you're successful at stopping this bad guy from shooting someone. And so we just kind of, I did it literally without dice, without coin, without nothing. She just had to find a number in the natural environment. <laughs> <laughs> I see that too again. Okay, so you rolled another two because the guy walked by again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, my my uh, favorite story on getting somebody into it was uh, we're I run a one e campaign with my people at work, and we used to do it at lunch on Mondays every. But right. now that we're pandemic and we all work from home, we do it every Monday and Thursday now uh, over over Zoom, and. Uh, we just take a long, like an hour and a half lunch and we play for, so three hours a week we're playing. And so it works out pretty good. And this one girl was kind of interested in stopping by and seeing what it was. We had invited her to join and she goes, well, let me, my husband said he used to play. And, uh, so she just walks in to, we were in a team room, you know, conference room and she comes in and we just hand her the character sheet. 
<laughs> and and I awesome. said, can't leave now. I'm like, okay, so you're this elven archer, you know. And I said, you don't have to do anything if you don't want to. And she said, okay. And then I'm like, you know, if you want to, you could shoot some arrows at the monster, you know, that they're fighting. And she goes, okay, I'll try that. And, you know, and I, I had some dice all ready for her, you know. And, <laughs> and now, and since then, she's kind of retired. Uh, she works from home with her kids even before the pandemic because she started having kids and she still plays with us and, and would call in on the phone <laughs> and play over the phone. And now she gets right. the Zoom call with us. And uh, she's and so now she's been playing with a steady for about five or six years because this campaign's still been going on. They're actually coming close to the end. I'm thinking about one more year and we'll be wow. done. <laughs> and yeah, they're, they're up to about, I think. 15th level, 14th, 15th level, they, you know, and they started mm. first and worked their way all the way up. And uh, so now she gets to play twice a week. And then we started a game with her son who was, wasn't even born when she started playing. <laughs> and now we've started a game with Look him. He, he listens in on her game with us every week. And so now uh, one of my characters in the game started a game for kids. So he's playing in it. My son, who has Down syndrome, uh, is playing in it, and uh, we got a couple of other kids from one of the players, and they're playing. So the four of them are playing in it, and they are having a nice. blast, wow. and her husband is jealous. <laughs> her and her kids are all getting to play D&D, and he doesn't get to play anymore. So anyway, it's uh, – but, yeah, it, you know, she loves it, and she didn't think she would ever, ever play, so that's – it's it's fun. It's fun when you can introduce it's something. Awesome. Well, like and that, uh, that intergenerational and torch passing. Oh yes. the kids. Yeah. Oh, cool. I will do anything to get kids to play and and try it out. You know, and you know, a lot of times uh, people will play in one of my games, or the kids will play, and I I'm I'm you know here have a free set of dice, and you know they're like oh why are you so nice? I'm like anything to keep the next generation playing. I, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I want to yeah. see this continue a hundred years from now. I think role playing is an important part of our society now and it should keep going. So, Hey, if, if it's any indication, I applaud your efforts. And according to star Trek, the next generation and Voyager and deep space nine, they're going to keep doing it, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Captain yeah. Picard plays the Dixon Hill, um, you know, role playing game on the holodeck. You, you <laughs> know, it's what he does. So, Actually, have not seen the new Star Trek series. I decided okay. I wasn't going to drop the money for CBS All Access. Oh no, I'm talking hey, about Star Trek: The Next Generation. Oh yeah, yeah. Data would play Sherlock Holmes. You know, I did not watch all of that. I don't know, that's funny. It, well, I, I was a huge fan of the original Star Trek, and then the new Star Trek started. I was so excited. We sat down, we watched it, and was it the very first episode that Q came on? And I hated the character. I just despised it. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is stupid and ridiculous. And I mean, I've seen a lot of the different episodes, but I wouldn't, I didn't watch it all the way through. And no, it that's fine. really, but yeah, I, I think I have seen them when they were doing the different uh, uh, role playing stuff on there. You know, they'd have the Sherlock. Holodeck I remember the, oh yeah. The holodeck is fantastic. I wish we could do them now. Of course they're getting there right with the VR right. and stuff, yeah. but Oh yeah. So now that this old dungeon has become the Star Trek podcast. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> That's where my mind goes. It just yeah. wanders off. So I've got stuff. I've got notes, folks. I've got notes. Lots notes. Of, lots of notes. Yeah, we got to so, follow those yeah. notes. <laughs> uh, 
But I, I, I do. Did you guys read? This is something I think I'm going to try the next time I play D and D. But the, there's a rule in the combat system here where um, you can take one attack and you can split it up amongst anyone that's like within ten feet of you. And so, like it talks about, you, you you roll the combat die and then anyone that that'll hit, you get an attack, but you only roll one damage die and then you say, okay, four points of that goes to him, three points goes to him. Uh, and I just think that's an interesting concept. And it talks about how, and, and this is what they said about original D&D anyhow, is the attacks aren't really meant to be like, I'm taking one strike against the person. They're supposed to represent like back and forth of a couple you know hits or whatever. You know what I mean? When you're when you're rolling the, the attack and they're taking damage. It's not just supposed to be a, a one strike, one, you know, this is damage from one blow kind of thing. Well, I get that idea because you get the idea of, like, uh, Gygax was, you know, the big sword and sorcery fan. And I could see, like, Conan, you know, surrounded by a bunch of, you know, demon creatures or whatever. And he's just swinging his sword around and he's hitting one and then another and then another and so on. But my question is, what rule version did you get this out of? No, this yeah, is not this that game. was my it's question. Words of Creation. Oh, oh, this game. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh. not. It's uh, if you go into the section where it talks about Don't. the. Uh, yeah, some of us are t- trying to talk about the game tonight. <laughs> oh wow! I, I thought we were talking about D and D. No, no, no. Uh, I said I, I'd like to take this rule and, and try it in D and D and see you know if it works. Oh. Well. Because you, you get these right. high level characters that are getting attacked by kobolds, and even though they can do you know, sixteen points of damage in one blow, they're only killing one kobold. <laughs> you know well, what I mean? I, um, I but yeah, under the. Be- uh, uh, optional rules for combat. It talks about this. It says that you know if, if they're within ten feet, a person can split their attack and do uh, separate damage. But only they make one roll, and whoever they hit, they hit, and whoever they don't, they don't. Yeah, but but Lou here, you know, in our defense, you read you know role playing game books like a rabbi reads ancient texts of the Talmud. Too. Oy. Yeah. Oy, yeah, yeah. Oy. Yeah. What's with the yeah. Yeah. As soon as you said rule, I started laughing. I was like, oh, here we go. Additional um, combat rules. Let's see here. Special circumstances. Exam- of course, uh, are you aware of the 1E rule where if you are um, – if the monster you're fighting, if you're a fighter and the monster you're fighting is below one hit die, you get one attack for every level you are. I was not aware of that. That's a 1E rule. Mm. So if you're fifth level and you're fighting goblins who are you know hit die 1 minus 1 – then you would get five attacks. Wow. But once they hit one hit die at orcs, you get one attack. Hmm. But anyway, uh, I was looking into your option, uh, optional combat rules. Here we go. That's interesting. Yeah, that's right. I, I saw that and skimmed over it because I don't think we actually played with these. But uh, let's see here. Armor reaction speed. Uh, I'm not seeing it. Yeah. But if you read it, I believe it. <laughs> but I, I just kind of skimmed through the rules. You know, I hadn't played it in so many years. Well, you didn't but... put the page of the no, on the no, book no. in your notes, you silly. It, it's page what twenty-seven. There. Thing. <laughs> yeah, and it also does. There's a multiple attack rule on page twenty-three, where yeah. uh, individuals with a physical score of twenty-one or or more are eligible for multiple attacks. Up to a maximum of thirteen attacks per turn can be made. Wow. And and by the way, yes, those thirteen att- all, the multiple attack is a chart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I found the rule he's talking about here. It's on okay. page twenty-six, dividing damage. The attacking right, individual on. can choose to divide damage 
on a successful attack equally among additional targets within 10 feet. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I don't think we ever played with that. So yeah, Usually I... it was all of them fighting one big guy more than anything <laughs> else, but because robots are really tough. But <laughs> yeah, I bet they are. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, well, here's one right mm-hmm. before that, too, reducing attacks, which I think is really interesting. Uh, the combat with multiple attacks can always choose to make less attacks in order to have a better chance to hit. Must be, ma- must be made for rules. <coughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I think we did play with this then. I think, yeah, I think we played with this rule. So, yeah. So you could take the one attack, the lesser attack at a higher chance than having multiple attacks, so. Oh, I was just going to say, before people freak out about the, the 16 attacks, uh, one kind of interesting thing about the game is that there's no cap limits on abilities. That you, right. you know, Even though you start off with abilities that are less than 20, uh, theoretically you could have uh, creatures in the game or even characters that get up to like 80, 90, you know, whatever. Because well, all you're does, ascending to like godhood. Yeah. 200. Yeah. That's, and so, yeah, that, that's where that's that 16 attack thing comes from. <laughs> Yeah, but interesting. Yeah. Also, by the way, if you're updating the rules, uh, all their monetary system is 1980s dollars, <laughs> so it's 40 years behind now. <laughs> yeah. Got to do some multiplication on that chart. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I thought this the game's nice. I mean, I you know it's it's definitely you know if you're gonna pick this up today, the character creation system and some of the map there I think's a little little dated, but you can get through it. I, having not played it, I, I envision it playing pretty well. I, I mean, it really is almost like a D20 system game, really, which is yeah. some different modifiers than what you're used to. And that that book of foes is excellent. Oh my for, goodness! You know, yeah, it's you know, you're, not you've got everything well, you need to play, but it's got no. so much in there, so much. Yeah, no, it's it's actually it's quite good. I mean. Yeah, I'm looking at one. It's it's got a thing for the Anansi, the the spider, the uh, African spider god, and I'm like, wow, this looks like it really came right out of uh, a D and D one e monster manual. Yeah. Well, and I tell you, I was impressed by so the art. Cool. Uh, I think the guys it's, it's, Dave, some of it really Dillman, stands up. And it's uh, you know D and D at the same time, their art was very scattershot. You know, you had some really good pieces and then some not so great pieces. But it's very steady and it's it's fairly decent quality. It's well, it's got it some really good me line of work. Errol Otis art, really. It does. Yeah. Oh yeah. Does. I don't know if he worked on this or not, but I don't think so. I think he was pretty no, much. No, it was all uh, that. Uh, Dave Billman did all this art. Dave Billman, yeah. yeah. Well, I I'm looking at some of this stuff, and I got to say, if he inked his own stuff, which I'm willing to bet he did. Did an exceptional job of it because inking can totally destroy a really good pencil piece, but they look great. Yeah. yeah. My only complaint is like every female, and I mean every female, is like like super well endowed, like you know, sexual. Oh, that's a 1980s standard. Yeah, yeah but, 1980s. But, but I'm stuff, looking at yeah, a, but... a gal with a fish head and going, oh, she's kind of hot. It's <laughs> you know, not right, man. It's just not right. All right, D and D geek, you're showing. <laughs> your geek is showing there. Uh, not all of them are, you know. I'm, I'm looking through the book of foes. There's a lot of females in here, and a lot of them are just natural. You know, they they don't look overly, but uh, some do, obviously. Yeah. But I, I, I was hyperbolizing a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, these monsters, these cre creatures you encounter, they go all, they're all over the place. I mean, there's every kind of possible uh, encounter you could have. They had like a, uh, a feline creature, which was more or less, it's like, well, you could literally encounter Puss in Boots from the classic <laughs> fairy tales. Mm -hmm. uh, he's got like every mythology too, like all. I mean, mm -hmm. not just like the common, you know, Scandinavian and all that, but he, I mean, he it's it's incredible the the depth at which the the uh, foes are written up at. And then he also has spider cats. Did you catch that? No, I didn't. Oh, not you gotta yet. look at the spider cats. Spider? Basically, a spider and a cat had a baby that's a spider cat. <laughs> it's got oh, legs right. like a spider and a head like a cat and. It's spider cat. Spider cat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there is spider cat. So I don't. I don't know if you can see the picture there or not, but uh, spider cat. So anyway, but uh, yeah, it's uh, since I've dug them out, it's actually becoming a new resource for me because I had forgotten <laughs> most of this stuff. So yeah, it's it's really cool. I'm I'm really digging this stuff. I'm glad that we brought this out. So yeah. Thank you for this one. This is a cool one. Yeah, my, sure. my only two final thoughts. Uh, one, I think it'd be neat to use this to like go through all of TSR's catalog to like do like boot hill, like a boot hill module to like a Star Frontiers module to like top secret to D and D. <laughs> uh, just use this system to run those. Uh, and then I also I, I'm a big fan of the movie Time Bandits. So man, oh, if I ever yeah, get a chance, I'm go. running Time Bandits with this system. Oh yeah. Have they ever made an RPG for Time Bandits? Not to my No, I don't. Think I don't so. think so. No. I guess we could look it up. Well, I don't I even know if they had a it. game. Yeah, that was. I would think that somebody would uh, have done something with that. I love that movie. You know. I so. could see that movie very easily becoming a um, kind of a reboot for now. It could be done mm -hmm. very easily. Um. I heard a couple of years ago about a possible reboot, but I hadn't seen anything. So yeah. Well, uh, the director on that one, uh, Terry, what was it? Uh, Terry Gilliam. Gilliam, yeah. Think Didn't I see something a... on Facebook, though, about Willow maybe coming back? Yeah, it Willow. is coming back on Disney+. Plus. What? <laughs> Willow That's pretty is cool. coming Willow. back as a series. Oh, on... Willow. Yes, I heard they're going to make the, the series, and the character who played Willow is going to be in it. And um, cool. the director, um, of course, oh, God, um, the famous guy. Ron uh, Howard. Ron, Ron Howard, Howard, yes. I, all Aww. I could think of was the kid from Andy Opie. Griffith. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Ron Howard is going to direct it, too, from what I understand. So that's I'm, – I'm looking forward to that. Willow's one of uh, me and my wife's uh, favorite shows. So That was an underrated nice. movie. It was a little ahead of its time. Yeah. I, I thought it was great. I thought it, there's so much in it. Val Kilmer did a fantastic job. If you've never seen Willow, go check it out. It's well yeah. worth it. And I, I will tell you, there was a three-book sequel series written by Chris Claremont from Notes by George Lucas. Avoid it, avoid it, avoid <laughs> it. Okay. I hope that's not what they're basing the TV series on. <laughs> I doubt Let's hope not. <laughs> There, by the way, there was a Time Bandits card game oh, uh, by, put out by Warp Spawn Games. I don't, I don't have anything else about it than that, but yeah, that's all there was. Wow. So, guys, final thoughts on the game here? I think it's a great-looking game. I mean, I didn't get into the uh, mechanics weeds the way that uh, Lou does, but I did get into the setting weeds. <laughs> you know, and I really enjoyed that idea. There's a lot you could work with that. Like you could even, you know, start in another universe. 
like you could do a historical space western sort of thing and that's where you started you don't even start in our real world i mean it seems like that you would start in like our little prime universe but who says right. you have to? you know you could do all kinds of fun stuff with that yeah. or have people from all kinds of different um timelines and universes come together in a kind of crisis on infinite earths kind of way Oh, that reminds yeah. me. That was the one thing I was surprised of in the foes catalog is they didn't have like they didn't have like people you would assume would be historic foes like Hitler and Genghis Khan and and Attila the Hutt. Well, maybe that would have been a supplemental or something yeah, like that. Sort yeah, of maybe. maybe. I mean, they had humans in there, but no like specific. I don't well, they think had, like, they Billy did. Like Kid, and they had a few, but but it, uh, the ones I'm like, oh yeah, if I'm doing a historical. You know, every okay. Everybody wants to go back in time and kill Hitler. Kill Hitler, yeah. I mean, come on. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Even Doctor uh, Who did that. <laughs> right. Well, like they have Blackbeard and Cersei and you know El Cid. I'm they wondering if they would get people. some kind of pushback from Jewish people with putting Hitler in there. I don't know. I don't know. Well, they do have Gilgamesh in here. Uh, let's see here. Sinbad, Davy Crockett. But I'm not seeing like Hitler. So yeah, how, yeah, right. how do you write up the stats for Hitler? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And what level of evil is he? Hercules <laughs> is in here. That's yeah. It, it's extensive. It's... In D and D rules, he's the only one that is both chaotic, neutral, and lawful evil. <laughs> <laughs> they have Merlin and Beowulf. Boy, they do have a bunch of people in here. I had forgotten. God, Doc Holliday. That's cool. Billy the Kid, yeah. It's good stuff. It's yeah. good. It is. Morgan Le Fay, Sir Lancelot. Boy, they did a lot of these guys. There's so much in here. It, it's insane. All right. The, the hour's ticking on, so if everybody's ready for it. Oh, okay. we got yeah. some questions for you, Ben. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. All right. All so right. We, uh, we always finish up our podcast with a little segment we call Geek Credit. Do you have any geek credit? Yes. Okay. Oh, wait. I, I'm losing y'all. <laughs> 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 all right. Go ahead. All right. Let's uh, – all right. Thomas, do you want to start? Do you want me to start? You go ahead and start. Okay. All right. You guys uh, got after me when uh, Christopher Tupa was on, and we didn't put him in the hot seat, so uh, I don't want to fail you again. So, uh, Ben, you're in the hot seat for Geek Credit. We're going to ask you a series of five questions and see what you can do here, whether you can get uh, at least three of them right to get your credit tonight. Um, okay. <laughs> so uh, we, we know you're a big Lovecraft guy. Uh, you've, you've done a lot of publications for Chaosium. And uh, so which of these famous authors was not part of H.P. Lovecraft's Circle of Friends? So he had a had a group of writers that he, he kind of wrote with and, and corresponded with. Uh, so you, you get multiple choice here. Oh, gosh. All right. All right. So, All right. Go ahead. It, it gets softer after this as far as my questions go. So th- this is the hard one here. Oh, All okay. right. So uh, your choices are, and, and again, you're looking for the one that was not part of his circle of friends. We got Robert okay. Block, uh, who wrote Psycho. We got H. Ryder Haggard, who wrote King Solomon Mind, King Solomon's Minds, excuse me. We got Robert E. Howard, who wrote Conan, and we got Ashton Clark Smith, who wrote The Hounds of Tyndallus. 
So which one of those was not one of his friends? Again, the list is Robert Block, who wrote Psycho, H. Ryder Haggard, who wrote King Solomon's Mines, Robert E. Howard, who wrote Conan, or Ashton Clark Smith, who wrote The Hounds of Tindalos. Okay. All right. So to be honest, I don't know this. Because, uh, <laughs> first of all, I, I don't. I'm. <laughs> Would you I know say more you're about writing his writing fence. than the person himself, H.P. Lovecraft? Right, I know right. a lot about him, but what you know? And of course, the the obvious answer, right? The one that should be in his group is the one who wrote The Hounds of Tinnitus, because that is more a Call of Cthulhu type book. But it's probably the right answer because it's the one that should be in that group, right? But I, uh, but I'm not going to pick that one. I, Would I, you say I, you're writing a fence on this? Yeah, I, I'm, do you want to phone a friend? I'm going to phone a friend or <laughs> go to Captain Google, but I won't do that. I'm going to say the guy who wrote uh, uh, the King Solomon's mind. That's correct. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, is it really? Oh, you got it. Yeah. Point, point to Ben. He predates he predates them quite a bit. I'm yeah, a big I, Robert E. Howard Conan fan, so I'm like on that cusp of Lovecraft also quite a bit. So I get it because they yeah. were very good letter, uh, letter friends. So, okay, I'm going to go for my next. Uh, okay. uh, I'm going to try and give you a little softball one after that one. Um, <laughs> and it's a simple, it's a simple one. Um, what year was Chaosium's first edition of Call of Cthulhu published? What was the first edition? What year? Jeez. That is all right, so that's not a softball. No. Uh, can, can you give him multiple uh, choice on this? Uh, I, I could. I know because I know I've talked to Sandy Peterson about when he created this game um, and when he was doing it in the late 70s, uh, but I want to say it was around 81, 80 or 81 when he came out with the first edition, but I could be wrong on that. I. Um, well, good thing you got the first answer right. It was 1982. 82. <laughs> he was probably – developing it since the late 70s and then published in 82 82 yeah i, I didn't know you know because like i said i didn't play first edition it was several you know well, editions in it's a little bit of a trick question yeah the great thing about call of cthulhu is every edition is backwards compatible with the previous editions almost yes yeah, pretty, very, close. Very, pretty close very close um but yeah and you know why it's set in the 1920s i always assumed that it was kind of what the Lovecraft era he wrote, started yeah. writing in, and yeah, what is no, that? it was because all right, so he got he was asked to write the game, and he was writing it oh. for the 1970s, right? But so his, I was thinking Lovecraft, sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, Love Lovecraft wrote the books in the 20s, right? Because yeah. he, right. but Sand, um, um, Sandy. Sandy yeah. was writing the game in the 70s, and he was going to have it set in 1979 or 82 or whenever. And the group that was playtesting the game wanted to do it in the years that Lovecraft wrote, wrote it. and that's when all the books are set. So he caved into them and ran it in the 20s, and that's why that's the primary huh. uh, era. Well, so. and then he came out with later stories books that moved in into modern times right right because yeah. that but that was his original plan was to write it like that all okay. right so i'm i'm one and two right now let's see wow. all right, <laughs> all right. Um, so interesting you were just talking about sandy peterson uh because this involves him uh which of these famous tv movie franchise role-playing games <laughs> did he design 
for the West End Games RPG Company. So he he's actually the designer. They they kind of uh, what do you call it? Um, outsourced it to him to design this game. Uh, which of these was it? Was it Star Wars, Men in Black, Ghostbusters, or Tales from the Crypt? Which one did he design for West End Games? Knowing Sandy, probably I'm going to go with Tales of the Crypt. Oh, no. Am I wrong? It no. It's Ghostbusters. 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 Yeah. Okay, see, now, there's a difference between <laughs> Call of Cthulhu, <laughs> trivia, and some of the stuff y'all are asking. Yes, uh, they cool. always that's do that. A... They always do this. <laughs> On what page of the book <laughs> did Frodo say? All right, would y'all like to this? Bill, you keep my car out. I can't miss another one. <laughs> Luckily, I have like 20 copies. So. <laughs> All right. All right, um, go ahead. So, okay. Should, should I try and do a multiple choice question? Because I didn't actually write any, but I could probably come up with some. Make it multiple choice. All right, give me a second. You go All for right, another. Sure, I'll, I'll go with my last one here. Uh, okay. All right, so... Uh, the uh, yeah. the elder symbol or elder sign is a sign okay. that protects people against the elder gods. Can you describe? Or I'm sorry, which I'm sorry. Uh, well, we could. Do you want it open ended or do you want a multiple choice? Open ended is uh, fine because the elder sign's the pentagram that's slightly slanted, so has like a mark in the center. So that's, that's yeah. I was gonna say, <laughs> can you describe <laughs> one of the three that's uh, typically used for chaosium? So that that is definitely one of them. Yeah, that's that's one of them. The other's a, a tree branch. Yeah, it kind of looks like a tree branch. The line with the that's mm -hmm. two of them. Is there a third? I'm, I don't the, know the, the third, third one. one is so. the, is a variation on the pentagram one, but it's a, like a six sided star that's like kind of spinning a little bit. Almost looks like a oh, ninja yeah. star. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interestingly yeah. enough, the tree branch one is the only one that uh, that uh, Lovecraft ever actually used or described. The other ones it's were created close. in modern times. Yeah. All right. I do have uh, a multiple choice uh, question for you. You get this, you get your credit. Uh, so it's two okay. for two here. I'm two out All of right. four. Last one. All right. So um, not his first written work, but what was H.P. Lovecraft's first published work? The four uh, that we have are Rats in the Walls, The Dunwich Horror, At the Mountains of Madness, or The Alchemist. Oh, it was the alchemist. Boom, you got it. Ah, I got it. That's right. That's right. I actually got right. that one. <laughs> Yay. I couldn't remember. I was like, oh, what was the name of that? And I was That with... was um, in the United Amateur, November yeah. 1916. That's right. I, I've read that before, and I was going to say reanimator. If you hadn't made it uh, multiple choice, I would have said reanimator because I couldn't, ah, good. Right. couldn't remember alchemist. Well, uh, but, uh, yeah. I've got a really interesting one to wrap this up. It's a kind of a bonus question because I found it to be a really interesting bit of trivia. And that is this. Who is buried under H.P. Lovecraft's tombstone in Providence, Rhode Island? Oh, I don't think anybody is. I think it's – Boom. Yeah, that's it. He's actually not buried under it. There's a large family tombstone, like an obelisk, in front of it that he is buried under. And then in 1977, a bunch of fans went and bought him a headstone and put it, and it's behind the family one where he's actually buried. Yeah. So, oh, he's okay. a, so do I get to keep my geek grid? Yeah, absolutely. Hard caring member. Yeah. 
These guys are horrible. <laughs> They're so well, hard. Well, I mean, uh, knowing exactly what year something was published, is, it can be difficult to, you well, know. And I won't do yeah, that. Who remembers yeah, that? Yeah, kind of like uh, yeah. Star Frontier, 1985, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I also try and give a little trivia with my trivia, too. That's something I like to do. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that's all, right. all we got. So well, we're we're wow. gonna have to wrap this up, folks. And it has been uh, an extreme pleasure for me, anyhow, to have you on the show, Ben. Right. It's been great. I've, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, so you've got uh, a time for sacrifice. It's out there right now. It's uh, a Call of Cthulhu yep. uh, collection of adventures. You've got the uh, the uh, uh, insanity dice. Uh, yep. Ultimate dinosaur fighting. Uh, that's the second edition. Yep. And it's out there. And all this can so be gotten. It actually comes with an ex- expansion set with it called Triassic Terror that goes with the dinosaur fighting. Uh, also got some of my older stuff. You know, Devil Swamp is still available. I uh, even have a few copies of Star on the Shore left. Uh, and, uh, uh, oh, I have Crypt Fumble Dice. And I, if you is go to my website. Site? Yeah, yeah okay. if you go to my site and look around, you can find it all. It, or you can just email me at newcomicgames at gmail.com. And uh, ask me whatever, you know, and I can help you all out. But thanks so much. Let me come push my product a little and and have fun chatting with you guys. I always love doing this kind of stuff. So, yeah. Hey, next time you get like a Kickstarter going or something, come back on. We'll talk about that. Speaking of Kickstarters, (laughs) go on there and look for the Dare Luck Club. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I am a backer. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Now we're, we're finally past the 30%. I started my ad campaign today, so uh, if, you, if you're on Facebook, yeah. you might see some of those. Some time aside, I believe we need to do a little thing with that, okay? Yeah, we do a special podcast. <laughs> yeah. to... A little self-ingratiating. Uh, yeah, we, we could do that, maybe. All There's right. yeah. nothing wrong with that. That's There's right. It's wrong. ours. You we should, can do yes. that. You know, that's why yeah. I'm here, right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 But yeah, it, it's you got to get out there. You got to push yourself. You got to advertise. I mean, that's where I've gotten where I have. And if you want to get there, you, you can. You just have to to work at it. I mean, it's yeah. going. Yeah, yeah the, stuff's just not going to explode on its own. I've only had one thing ever do that to me. If if we got time for a quick story, I can do Ooh, this one yes. real fast. I made something called engineering dice, and it's just three dice, and it will solve any engineer problem you have, or it'll <laughs> tell you. For any pro- engineer project you're working on, it'll tell you what the problem is, uh, what the reason for the problem, and a possible solution. Okay, and you roll them, and there's three six-sided dice. And I thought, man, eh. I I put them on, and I set the goal for like $500, and said, okay, so if I sell 100 sets of these, I'll be happy because they cost me like five bucks a piece to make or whatever. And I launched the Kickstarter and went and got a haircut and came back, and we were passing a 1000 at that point. Uh, it ended up exploding, and I made over $30,000. And they, you know, that was four years ago. And I think I sold 10 sets this last week. I mean, they just, <laughs> they still sell. It's amazing. That's the only thing. I never advertised or anything, and it just exploded. It's just one of those weird Crazy. things. Yeah, it's just crazy because I thought I'm not even going to make a thousand bucks on this, and I made that in an hour, you know. <laughs> uh, and then you put out something great like Dare Luck Club, which I think is fantastic. I, I got a chance to look at the rules uh, at the last con, and you know, it, it's like, come on, let's get out there, let's make this happen. It's, yeah. it's a good system. So I don't know. People are weird. People are weird. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, folks, 
have a good one and keep on gaming. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Yay. Thanks, Ben. been listening to This Old Dungeon. We'd like to take a moment to thank our guest Ben Burns of New Comet Games and encourage you to look for all his creative products on his website at newcometgames.com or funding on Kickstarter. A reminder that the views expressed on this program are the views of the hosts only and should not be held accountable for anything that might legally put us in any sort of trouble. Please don't, guys. Okay? Okay. Have a good one.